Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy! You, you're not alone. I'll be there beside you for the words you can live without. You're not the same, but I'll be Hello and welcome to Reptile and Chill. This is your number one host, Mike Phelps, and the other two are there somewhere. <laughs> are we? <laughs> well, you know, I've just, I've, just, I've just realised something. So last week we let Danny do the introduction. This week we let Mike do it. Um, you're both crap. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be a nice chilled yeah. out track and it comes in and you're supposed to go like, you know, hello and welcome to another episode of Reptile and Chill, being all, you know, nicey nice. Suave. And, yeah, and you, you've, oh, bloody hell, man. You, you, I'm not going to swear on this podcast tonight and you, you're pushing it already. Do you know what? <laughs> I'm too excited this week to even be like nice and cool and calm. I am. You know, I get excited. We, we do have times. we do have a bit of an exciting podcast, don't we? We do have an exciting podcast. And I've got a little bit... I'm quite happy this week. I've had a really, really good week. But I am excited about something in specific. And what's that? Okay, thing? go on. I found... I finally found my drinking partners. Right. Uh, so, I mean, it's, de- it's definitely not me. <laughs> so... Because I don't get invited. This is a so. couple. This is a couple. I'll give you some clues. This is a couple. And last Friday night, they started drinking at normal time, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock on the night. They were still doing live videos from in their hot tub at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock the next morning. Oh, that what? sounds awful. Joanna and Jez Oldwinkle. <laughs> Went on a major session last weekend, and from Friday night, they drank constantly through the night until the sun come up the next morning <laughs> and were still in the hot tub at like nine o'clock the next morning. And I was like, yeah. yeah. Have, we, have we got before and after photos of that? Because I can imagine things would look rather raisin. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mate, yeah. <laughs> Joe's makeup splashed all across her face. <laughs> Jesse's trying to talk to the camera but can't get his words out properly. It's absolute quality. <laughs> I just yeah. wish I was there. I just wish I was there. 
Well, I definitely don't. I'm really glad I wasn't. I I grew out of that when I was about 24, and what? I can't do it anymore. Drinking all night. <laughs> yeah, I can't do it anymore. Not nah. <laughs> do you see how serious he's gone this week, Hoss? Because he's got his glasses on now and his profile. <laughs> uh, well, so, well, it's quite uh, funny actually. I, I, I prefer spectacles. <laughs> <laughs> right. So obviously we had this profile pick war that you completely just tarnished, Mike. Um, but he Smashed did one. And I did actually borrow my mum's glasses and do my own one. But then I realised, right, I'm not that much of a douche that I have to fake wearing glasses for profile likes. Before this goes too far, before this goes too far, I would like to point out one thing. What? Go on. Both of my profile pictures got more likes than Phelps' picture did. Oh, do you know what? It's not about the likes, mate. Yeah, but it is. That's oh, the okay. whole idea. All right, then. How many, okay, then. How many people smiled and laughed about it? I bet you more people oh, smiled and I mean, laughed about yeah, it. I think, I think you'd smash that I, one, mate, all day like, long. Smash no, that no, one out to, the park. To be, to be completely honest, though, <laughs> I reckon more people did it with Danny's because they looked, looked at the state of his eyebrows. They're like, they're like Whoa, my eyebrows, are, my, my eyebrows are perfect. The I, eyes, I, mate. I get to, do you know how many, how often people say, "Do you pluck your eyebrows?" No, I do not. Cream pluck my eyebrows. Like, no, you don't does pluck that? them, but Molly now, does it for you. Now, there's one yeah. person that needs to pluck their eyebrows, isn't there, Hoss? No. <laughs> oh, maybe no. the other night he doesn't pluck them; he waxes them. <laughs> no, he doesn't. They're fucking huge. <laughs> You see the size? They look like they're about to jump off his face and crawl <laughs> off. Seriously. <laughs> oh. I've, I've, got, I've got fantastic eyebrows. Fuck you. Well, they're nicely shaped, don't get me wrong, but they look like they're about to clobber someone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're quite vicious, aren't they? <laughs> they are. They're beautifully shaped, Hoss. You're you know, a beautiful man. You know what else is beautifully shaped? I've... <laughs> No, I, no, I don't know if I want to know. <laughs> uh, your, your stomach in your new reptile and chill t-shirt that don't fit. Oh, mate, <laughs> you know guys, yet. you guys, you guys thought yours were tight the other day when I tried mine on. Whoa, <laughs> it looked like a fucking baby grow. Dude, I couldn't even get, I couldn't even get out of it. <laughs> I couldn't get it off. <laughs> Have you still got it on? <laughs> yeah, um, as, I'm wearing it as a vest. <laughs> I've got one. I've got you in a t-shirt, um, and uh, that's been put in the post today. Especially, in a, it's, in cost a seven, it's cost me seven pound fifty to get it to you before one o'clock tomorrow, so you can have, so you can have it. Are you are you fighting a yawn? Have you, are you fighting a yawn, or have you got hiccups? Actually, no. I was actually holding in a, a, a belch. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what makes what makes now any different to normally when you, you sorry just let it out? Well, I'm, I'm i'm quite polite when i'm on the show and i don't swear i uh i'm well ross, De- Ro- ross deacon will tell you that i don't give a shit <laughs> i'll just do it halfway for his conversation <laughs> <laughs> he even complimented me on it it was brilliant so guys what's been happening this week with you guys have you got any reptile news um danny last week spoke about you know your rat snakes your japanese rat snakes keeping you up all night any news on Mm -hmm. that any um no not really uh it's it's early days um she um she is looking a little bit rounded actually but she'd only eaten a few days before that so 
um, that could just be moving its way down. Um, although it's a little bit too late. Uh, I don't know. Um, no, nah, like I say, she's looking a little bit rounded, but that that could be anything. So I, yeah. I don't like to give her hopes up until. Obviously, because they cohab, Danny. Would you? Yeah. As soon as she lays, do you then just get the eggs out and leave them together, or do you do you take the male out, or do you? Do you, um, do you do? I I will be. Um, to be fair, I haven't I haven't bred um, this species before. Um, but, well, the, the, any any species that are, are similar to Japanese rat snakes, I, I would usually take the male out um, yeah. prior to her laying because obviously I don't, I don't want him to stress her out. Um, so actually I'll probably be doing that um, over the over this weekend, Yeah. to be fair. Um, cool. I'll take him out, get rid of him. Well, not get rid of him, but, you know, get him away from her so she's nice and chilled um, so she can go about her, her uh, usual business and do her thing without worrying about him. Um, I'll, I'll separate him. Yeah, I'll, I'll separate them until um, until after she's laid. Um, and what I'll probably do is is obviously take the eggs um, yeah. and then make sure she's had a feed. Yeah. Um, before he goes back in, um, yeah, because then if be. she's had a feed and she's digesting, um, then then she should be fairly chilled out. For him to go yeah, back that's in. A, that's a good um, way of doing it. I know yeah, a lot of people certainly let, no rush on it. They'll they'll let the female self incubate, um, which is which is fine. It's what they do in the wild. I just feel too sorry for the female. <laughs> they put themselves through a lot, don't they? When yeah. They well, I mean, the, well, the thing is, is is yes and no. Like yes, some females will will um, stay and incubate the eggs, but others won't. Yeah. Um, not all species do it. Um, some females will find a, a good nest. Um, they'll make it, you know, perfect, and they'll they'll find a place that has perfect humidity and for perfect temperatures. Blah blah blah. They'll lay their eggs and they'll go, and that'll be it. So so not not all species will. will yeah, like a compost heap or something like that. Right? Yeah, that'll, so, that'll yeah, generate its own its own heat. Little, little underground burrow, something yeah. like that. Yeah, all all sorts of little crevices and rocks and on cliff faces and stuff like that. Yeah. All sorts, all sorts of different terrains, you know, they'll just find the perfect place Yeah. and, uh, and they'll leave them, you know? So, and you know, so if you've got, if you've got a species like, for instance, I don't know, an, a rock Python, um, you know, yeah. Maternally, maternally incubate because they are fantastic mums mm. and they will do anything to protect their eggs. Same as, same as uh, retics and stuff like that. They're they're pretty good at staying with their eggs. They get incredibly defensive over their eggs. Yeah, um, yeah it depends what species is really. Yeah. Um, Slightly off topic. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, Easter's just round the corner. Um, Danny, do you get defensive over eggs? <laughs> Hostas. I can tell I, you that for now. Well, I, I'd, <sighs> I'd kill a man if he tried to nick my um, cabbage cream egg. Um, yeah, fact, I'd oh, probably kill the man and cream his family. Egg. If it was a cream egg, oh yeah, he's yeah, uh, he best he best make sure I don't get up because I'm coming after him. Yeah, <laughs> if he takes my cream egg. I've, yeah. I've got something to um, tell you that I'm not proud of. What again? My kids take ages eating their eggs, so when they're in bed, I help them out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't think you're the only person who does that, Mike, if I'm honest. <laughs> Can I also tell you something that I'm not proud of? Sam's already bought the kids the eggs once. She's just been out tonight and been shopping again the second time for their eggs. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Poor kids. <laughs> That's hilarious. Right, okay. So this week, um, Mike, would you like to tell us who we've got on this week on the podcast before you get into your features and such? Oh, man, I'm really excited about tonight because we have got Rob Pilly. So if anybody doesn't know who Rob Pilly is, he has worked in TV. He's done so much. He's worked with somebody that is God in our house, and I'll let him talk about that. But if I'm honest with you, if this guy come around my house... I um I'd probably just just like lose all bodily functions. <laughs> <laughs> that that I, I I think that could be incredibly awkward. Can you imagine him knocking on your door and you you opening a door and just he just shits just, himself literally who <laughs> on the floor who on the floor everywhere. We're like oh I'll, I'll tell you what I'll come back later shall I? <laughs> <laughs> well, so you oh, you'd God. have to roll out a red carpet, wouldn't you? Surely for him and. Oh, imagine mm. how embarrassed you'd be if you pooed on the red carpet. <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to stop myself. I just, <laughs> I definitely wet myself. That's for sure. <laughs> oh God. Oh. Wow. Uh, uh, no, this is going out to people. If ever he is, it, I would never ever do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'd wear, he'd wear a nappy that day for sure. <laughs> right. Okay, right. So- yeah, go, go on, Mike. What have you got for us? What's been happening over the last okay. seven days? So, if, I, if I'm honest with you, um, there were, we put out a bit of um, uh, a note on our uh, Reptile and Chill Facebook page earlier today. And you know what? Our listeners didn't let us down yet again. Um, for the first section of news, um, I'd like to thank our good friend, Luke Harris, also one of our guests who was on the show the other week, and he brought it to our attention that um, uh, Komodo National Park are set to close uh, in 2020. So the island of Komodo are closing their doors to tourists, okay? So we spoke to Adam Radovanovich the, uh, on the show a few weeks ago, and he talked about how amazing the place was uh, when he went there and visited well, a few years ago now. Um, so the news is as early as January next year, the Komodo National Park will be closing their largest island. The closure will allow for habitat restoration works to happen. So if it's going to benefit um, the Komodos, which are an endangered species, then it's well worth it, isn't it? Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. Yeah. Um, if anybody's thinking of travelling there next year, um, don't be too alarmed by this. Um, there's t- still, I think there's two other large island, which are Padar, and I think it's pronounced Rinka. Um, and I think there's about 26 other smaller islands um, that that make up the national park so it's only the largest island which is komodo uh, that they're closing and it's only temporary so um what do you think about that guys um we need to book our tickets now yeah 
Yeah, let's get there early. No, yeah, it's, I think I think it's good. Um, it's a sh- it's a shame that it needs to happen. Because, yeah, yeah, I, I think actually, I'm going to stop you guys here with this because with our guest this evening, he put up a video up the other day um, about ah, an area, okay. and I want to talk about that. So don't say yeah, anything more. Okay. We, can, we can discuss That's that fine. later. Um, okay. Can I just butt in a little bit, Mike? Yeah. No. I haven't got a feature anymore. <laughs> um, so you can have mine. It's Thursday, the fourth of April. Um, yes. The listeners have literally just over two weeks to buy us Easter eggs. Um, yeah. And we're not going to see many of them after Sunday. Um, <laughs> and I know the podcast is going out Saturday a day or two <sighs> days earlier. Yes, we're going to send you out early. So we need – now, and you need to understand this, guys. If you are listening and you do enjoy the show, we can't carry on doing this show if we don't have enough Easter eggs this year. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really need, like – We need chocolate. I like cream eggs quite a lot. Um, so – Guys – I tell that you, you you're forgetting one thing here. No, I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. It's coming. I know what you're going to say. So for every <laughs> for every Easter egg that a listener buys me, right, I will give the little sweetie bar inside to your son Billy because it's his birthday at Doncaster, ah. and I can't see him going without. <laughs> um, but he's not having the egg. The egg's mine. Yeah, that's fine. What, what? Do you know what? Can I, can I tell you something as well? It's only the second Easter that he's been able to eat chocolate and you're taking the eggs away from him. How do you feel? Because <laughs> of his allergies, he was he was allergic to dairy up until last Easter. So, uh, so the, yeah, this is... Uh, this is this he's going to be loving life. Yeah. Oh, no, this actually might be his first Easter that he's had proper eggs. So, um, there you go. What does he usually get? Just, just sweets. It was actually dairy-free eggs, oh, but there was only oh. about there was only about one or two on the market. So all the other kids in the family had a big range <clears> of <throat> eggs, and he just had sort of like six eggs lined up or nine eggs lined up, all exactly the same. All exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but tasted the same. I tell, you, I tell you what wouldn't have happened as well. You wouldn't have stole those eggs, would you, Mike? I oh, know I wouldn't. Oh, it tastes, <laughs> tastes like crap. <laughs> So, so what you're trying to say is that over Easter of the last like two years, you've actually put more weight on than normal. Oh, look, there's a big bit of news coming at the end about my weight. <laughs> yeah. And yours, Hobbs. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, I'm not having an operation to make my stomach smaller, mate. You know, it's, it's, it's not an operation. It's just a little band. <laughs> uh, right. Can I get on to the second part of the news? You, you can indeed. Okay. Um, I'd like to thank Ryan Gostello uh, for bringing this to our attention this week. Um, there were some rescued ch- uh, Chinese giant salamanders um, that... Are actually, I think they went on display. I don't know if it's yesterday, which is Wednesday, or next Wednesday at London Zoo. Mm-hmm. So the news is rescued from the clutches of smugglers. A rare Chinese giant salamander is going on display at London Zoo on Wednesday. Um, cozily living in the zoo's tank, the salamander has been named Professor Lu meaning dragon keepers in Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story was that smugglers hid this salamander along with four other salamanders in a cereal box uh, 
One of them was already dead, unfortunately, by the time uh, Border Security Force discovered them. Um, I just wanted to know if, Hoss, have you been trying to get more animals into the country again? Um, uh, no, uh, um, um, uh, uh, um. <laughs> <laughs> but on a serious note, um, Chinese giant salamanders are one of the world's most critically endangered amphibians uh, that were once abundant in China. And you're not going to believe this, guys. A recent survey found only how many individuals living in the wild. How many do you think? Six. A little bit more than that, mate. Uh, 70. 24 in the wild. That's frightening, that is. And no doubt there was a few others that, you know, but 24, that's that's horrendous, isn't it? Yeah. the reason why the numbers are so low, there's a massive demand for their meat, uh, coupled with poor conservation methods in the country, mm-hmm. and uh, it's driving Chinese giant salamanders, uh, mm-hmm. the world's largest amphibian, to the brink of extinction. Uh, this is a bit of an eye-opener as well. The mixing of species through farming has led to the hybridization of the Chinese giant salamander, that, de- uh, that de- um, diverged over four million years ago, experts said. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, because they can't get the numbers through, they're, they're crossing them with another salamander mm-hmm. and using that for the meat. But, obviously, that making that hybrid is actually you, you, you're losing the, you know, your main original pure species. Yeah. yeah. So a bit of an eye-opener, that, guys. I have got a little bit of a thing that I read earlier. I was on the CITES uh, Facebook page. Uh, have you guys seen what they put up uh, today? Uh, no, I, no, I, I haven't. Seen, so no. It's not reptile-related, but it's scale-related. Um, so Singapore has seized a record of nearly 13 tonnes of pangolin scales. Um, they reckon... The amount of scales that there is, it would have been from about 17,000 pangolins. Um, it was originated from Nigeria, um, and it was obviously seized in Singapore, but it was bound for Vietnam. Um, so there were African pangolins, because there's two types, yeah. isn't there? There's your Asian um, and your African. So the actual mm. shipment was declared as frozen beef, um, and the shipment also included 177 kilo of elephant ivory. Um, so... This is actually the biggest single haul of pangolin scales the world's ever seen that's been seized. Um, which is, oh, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, um, we spoke about it on the podcast a little while ago, didn't we, about pangolins, and uh, they're the most beautiful creatures ever. They're, they're mammals that actually think they're, they're, um, they're mammals that think they're uh, reptiles. Yeah. It's um, they're certainly confused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, they're beautiful as well. That's terrible to hear. That is those people that are involved in that with the ivory um, trade as well. They all need to be strung up, don't they? Mm-hmm. And not by their necks. Yeah. Um, uh, you've gone yeah. very quiet, guys. Are you okay? I'm just upset about the pangolin scales. To be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah, I know. You've, I know. Well, yeah, your your news is bad news, and it's like... Ugh. Yeah. So, yeah. So I've, 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 I've got have some exciting I've got, news. I've got some exciting news, okay. So, 
I've put the nest box in with the albino Darwin female and she's getting really fat now. She's in the nest box. Uh, she's not due until sort of like Sunday, Monday or Tuesday to lay. And I've got my fingers crossed that all the eggs are, are okay. But what's the chances that she's going to lay them early hours Sunday morning just before Doncaster? No, guaranteed. Guaranteed Huge. she's going to do it. Um, it's right. I had a text message just through from Mark O'Shea. Um, I'm going to pick up one of his books. Um, and I just got Ooh. excited that Mark O'Shea just messaged me. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm back now. The phone's up, opposite end of the room, promise. Um, yeah, I've wanted to get a copy of his book for quite a while, and I missed the opportunity at Doncaster. So I messaged him earlier this morning, so if he's still got any more uh, left. So I think I'm popping around his house to pick one up sometime next week, hopefully. Um, do you need anybody no, help to you help can... you carry the book? Mate? <laughs> you, can, uh, you can convince him to come on the podcast then. Come I will on. do. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get him in a headlock. I'll drag him. I think it might be worthwhile you coming with me to keep Mark safe, to be completely honest. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I may get a bit excited over that. I did grow up, you know, drooling over his documentaries and yeah. so forth. World famous uh, herpetologist goes missing. <laughs> <laughs> F- found in four foot viv in Hoss's bedroom. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd give him UV. I, w- I wouldn't. I'd, I'd look after him. Um, <laughs> anyways, before things get weird, um, <laughs> have we got anything more to add before, before we get the guest on? Uh, just a quick one that me and you are joining a, a, a fitness camp, aren't we? We're going to we're going oh, to Fat Club, God. mate. You fucking need it. Well, <laughs> oh. oh, my mic was on. Whoops. Oh, dear. <laughs> what, what, what was that, Mr. Medium? I am. Um... <clears throat> Medium my ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes, I've signed up to, which Hoss has agreed to come along as well, a six-week intensive intensive session on uh, losing weight. If I'm honest with you, I did it about four years ago. I lost three and a half stone in six months, guys. Well, cool. Anyways, I think we need to get the guest on because he's, uh, he's uh, yes, messaging. He's ready. He's messaging. Right, I'm ringing him in. We do need a ringing tone for this bit. Hello. I think we do, yeah. Hello. <laughs> You're right, mate. Hello. Hello. Here we are. I can barely hear. There you. he is. Hello. Are you, are you struggling to hear us, mate? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, but that's all right. I can. I'll put you closer. To, it's weird because you're on loudspeaker, but I still really can't hear you. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes you're better off using um, using headphones. Rob. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, if, you, if, you, if you take it off loudspeaker, it might come through a bit clearer. Um, Oh, oh, there we go. That's better. I've, sorry, you weren't on loudspeaker at all. You were actually just on the phone, and uh, you're now on loudspeaker. Let me allowed. Hello. Right, nice, nice to meet you all. Ah, oh, Rob. Uh, you can too. I tell you? Thank it's you. an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, um, no, my, my pleasure. It's lovely to, to talk to you guys, because I've, I've heard a lot of cool stuff about you from um, various mates that I go to hand with, so it's lovely to chat to you. No, thank uh, you. All lies. They're all lies. <laughs> 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 we see, see. Have you, you? Do you guys ever go to Hamwood? I've seen you in Hamwood. 
No, no, we, we no. behave. We behave ourselves. We just like drinking in our bedrooms. Oh, I see. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Keep yourselves to yourselves with your, with your herbs and your beer, eh? Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, if I'm honest with you, we're, I'm desperate to get over there. I nearly went um, with Mark Plimmer. Um, okay. I'm there at the last show, um, right. but I'm hoping to go in June. I know he has messaged me. I haven't got back to him yet. I'm just trying to trying to smooth it over with the wife. Subject, first. of course, the Brexit allowing as well. Not, not so much it won't allow us to go over there. It's whether we can bring Saiti's animals back. Anything back, back. yeah. yeah. Uh, could you yeah. give me a little favour? Could you come slightly closer to your phone? Because you're a little bit yeah. quiet. And Is I, that better? Uh, that's much better. I don't like editing much. I'm lazy, so... <laughs> no, that's absolutely fine. Right. Okay. So, <laughs> so what, what, should, what should we talk about? Oh, everything... Wow. Where do we start? Rob, just to start with, mate, do you want to just give yourself a little bit of an introduction just to let the... I've told everyone how excited I am because of some fantastic work that you've done. But do you want to let everybody know what it it is, what you're about, and and, uh, just a little introduction, please? Yeah, of course. Hello, everybody. Lovely to meet you all. Uh, My name is Rob Pilly. I am a zoologist, um, originally from Essex. Uh, Now live down in Bristol, and I've been here now for goodness knows how long, maybe... Jeez, I've probably lived down here for over 20 years, and um, as I say, I'm a zoologist, um, got various degrees to my name. Um, I've always loved herps, and essentially my, my sort of um, USP has always been anything that bites, scratches, or tries to kill you, then I'll probably love it. So, um, <laughs> and that's certainly applied to uh, my job. I, I make wildlife TV shows for BBC One. Um, I started off um, at the BBC in Bristol at the Natural History Unit, and uh, there I made uh, the original ways. The first job I ever did was when I was 14 years old, when I used to do animal handling for the Really Wild Show, which was a little kiddish uh, animal show that I used to love. No, and, I used uh, to watch that, Rob. As, yeah. as a little kid, um, I was a massive fan of uh, the Really Wild Show. Wasn't it? Yeah. It, was, it was wicked, wasn't it? And it, it all Terry, came back. Yeah. yeah so ter- ter- it's still wicked. Chris- yeah, absolutely. Um, and it all started with my it's my brother, actually. We were watching telly and um, the what's his name? Terry Nutkins appeared in the broom cupboard with Andy Peters and they were looking for wildlife enthusiasts and kids out there who just, you know, love beasties and stuff. And my brother said, God, oh, you got to write to them. So I did because um, I was sort of born and raised into a bit of an animal animal family, really. We um, we always used to have slow worms and lizards and voles and birds of prey and things when I was little. And then before that, we, um, my grandma used to be based in India. She was sort of raised in India and she used to wax lyrical about chasing cobras and the monsoon coming and catching giant beetles. And it was all awesome stuff when you were a little boy to be inspired by. You were surrounded by it then, wasn't you? You were totally immersed in it. And so, yeah, up to goodness, I got got my first lizards and things, blimey, when I was about, geez, I can't remember. I was only six or seven, I suppose. And then um, went on from there, really, just got my first tarantula when I was about 11 and it went on from there and I've, I've done it ever since I'm 43 now and um but as I said I did my first telly job when I was 14 after the, the really what with the really wild show thing ended up going on it with my my iguana called Titch and oh, uh, wow. yes, there's, there's little there's little Robbie P on telly with Terry Nutkins and doing stuff with Chris Packham and that was cool and that then led to sort of first introductions to the TV world and the people uh, in terms of making the shows. And then I uh, sort of worked my way through, really, did my degree um, and then came out, did work experience, did more freelance animal handling. And then it, it went on from there. I, I did my master's degree based at the Natural History Museum, which was absolutely awesome. And, uh, and then beyond that, I walked straight into a full time job at the BBC as a researcher in making natural history films. 
and then wow. just work, work my way through the system. I'm now a, now a serious producer, and um, I do. Oh goodness, um, yeah. When I was at the Beeb, I did um, I did a it was a it was a, a wildlife special called Serpent, which was looking at snakes, uh, which was great. That took me all over the place actually. Um, and Rob, then, stop. You're making us so jealous. Sorry, man. I, Rob, I, was only, I, I was only 20, 21. And then I did another series called Dragons Alive, which was another Herp series. Um, and then beyond that, I then, I've always done freelance work with a company called John Downer Productions, who make the quite distinctive looking spy films, uh, which feature all the uh, dung cams, boulder cams, log cams, and so on. And yeah. subsequently, they've evolved into what's known as the spy creatures, which we've got cameras disguised as animatronic animals, yeah. cameras in their eyes. And that's what I've been doing. Oh, goodness, I've been I've been at John's now for the past fifteen years, and I've seen cool. seen all the spy creatures evolve. And we we did Spy in the Wild year before last, and that that did really well on BBC One. Now working on the second series, so no, we're all good. That's and cool. I will stop talking now. Sorry, you know, you know, it's, uh, you know, no, it's, my, my, it's my turn before Mike gets in, right? All right. Go for it. You know what? This is going to be the best best podcast ever because oh, Mike is not going to be able to get a word in fucking age ways. It's going to be. <laughs> oh, you, know, you know what, Rob? Rob, if this this um. Natural history filmmaking thing doesn't work out for you. We can sack yeah. Mike and we can get you in. It's not oh, a problem. Cool, thank you. Oh, I'd love, I'd love yeah. to. I just, I, I think, what? I think <laughs> because I've because I'm kind of born and raised into it. It's very much in my blood, really, in terms of the the inspiration that I've had since I was little, in terms of getting out in the field, looking for stuff, working alongside animals doing all this well doing doing my, my whole life based around the animals really and so as a result this sort of it's infused infused me with this passion and it's then in turn led me on to what i'm doing a lot more now which is my own little youtube channel on facebook page but we'll i'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit absolutely right Definitely. i will shut what? up now i promise no no no, no please don't this, <laughs> this makes our life so much easier and, and obviously <laughs> you know rob you you do present really well in and, and you're able to talk to in front of cameras and I should imagine you talk to a, pe a lot of people um, you know for the work that you do but let's yeah. get right back to the start again and you said sort of like you was you was inspired by your grandma your dad had uh, numerous animals um, and before so so and you went on the uh, really wildlife um, uh, show what yep. animals had you had up to that point and, and what age did you start sort of like having your own animals what were they right i first uh, my first proper sort of herps as it were was when i was probably about 11 and i think my first i, I had common lizards and slow worms and things things that we used to just go out and find and, you know keeping a mm -hmm. tank in the garden yeah and that that was great and they would you know give birth and so on and we'd let them go my first sort of proper bought lizard i guess was a leopard gecko and also at the time there was a lot more you know, you know the green annals um yeah. green annals were dead common as imports they were in all the pet shops and you pay a fiver for them so yeah green annal leopard gecko uh, my first ever snake was probably a grass snake, but that was, again, that was a wild one that we caught, kept for a yeah. while, then let go again. Um, but, yeah, they were my first beasties, really. And you never had to do any convincing of your parents to, to, uh, to keep well, them? Well, not-ish. My mum and dad have always been incredibly um, very open-minded with regard to allowing me and my brother to essentially do what we like and express ourselves, which has been brilliant. Um, but believe, believe it or not, my mum is actually terrified of snakes. So uh -huh. um, at the time... 
um, we technically weren't, my mum would not, she'd let us have, she'd let us have most things, like she loved tarantulas and stuff, but she absolutely didn't like snakes. And so we thought, okay, fair enough for a little while. And then my dad, my dad would then, because my dad loves grass snakes, and he yeah. would every so often, he'd find a grass snake or he'd buy one from a pet shop. And then he'd then very discreetly get it in the shed and hope no one would notice. And I think it was actually that so your dad the, was the bad influence. Well, well, the t- yeah. Well, one of the funniest <laughs> things was we. I knew he, my dad had told me and my brother that he had this grass snake, and so we discreetly go out and look at it. And we, you know, it was it was great. It was in the shed for a good good you know good few months. And uh, and then one day, lo and behold, I get a phone call. I'm crumbs. I'm, I'm about seven years old. And I get a phone call at school uh, to say, um, I think I had to get called to the headmaster's office or to whatever it may be. And, uh, and it's, oh, no, what have I done? And it was my mum on the phone. And, uh, and she, was, she wanted to tell me that there is a snake on the patio. Can you come and get it? And I was like, yeah, of course. Oh, I wonder where that's come from. And, uh, and I went home and sure enough, there's the grass snake basking on the patio. And I'm there being all sort of looking, you know, trying to be convincingly confused to my mum. Oh, where's that come from? And then, of course, the game, the game was up then because she knew that your dad's involved here, isn't he? Yeah. That, that <laughs> I'd have gone down the route of, oh, mum, look at it. We will have to look after this for a yeah, little while. I mean, honestly, mum, we can't just release it and things. It's no, injured. It it's TLC. injured, mum. It's yeah, injured. Exactly. <laughs> but I didn't get my. I didn't properly get into. I, I did obviously respect my mum with regard to that and stuff, and we only did these things occasionally. But yeah, it was when I actually left home to go to university when I was about eighteen that I could actually properly kick off and say, right, now I've got my space. Ha ha, I'm going to get some snakes. And then it sort of rolled on from there, really. Wow. Amazing. Um, good stuff. So when you, uh, it was your brother who encouraged you to get on to, uh, to writing. Yeah. Yeah. You must have been super excited when you got sort of like, was it a letter back or? Yeah, oh, but it was brilliant because back then it was there was obviously no email, no mo- mobile phones or anything. So I literally sat there with my pen and my pad and I'm there literally, Diddy Really Wild Show. My <laughs> name is Rob Pilly and I'm 14. And I yeah, wrote this little handwritten letter <laughs> and in my awful handwriting and sent it off and you never expect anything back. And then lo and behold, you know, a week or two later, we get this official printed BBC letter and it was like, oh my goodness like a family gathering event around the table you know to see what's inside <laughs> and sure enough they're like really interested and one of the it's one of the researchers writing to me saying yeah we're really interested love to know what you've got so i then again hand wrote them a, le- a list of all the species that i kept which by the age of 14 i had quite a few things actually it was goodness it was about 20 species of lizard and wow. the manner of amphibians and spiders and things and it was it was quite a sizable list for a 14 year old so and it went on from there really wow, wow. so uh, and that was your first insight to TV work, it was, and, uh, it was. and you've never looked back. <clears throat> no, absolutely, it was completely sort of um, enamouring, really, to be involved and exciting, and then, and it, and it literally started things off in terms of um, the the researcher who wrote to me. She, I was friends with her for many many years until she left, and she well, she just she went off around the world herself. But yeah, I, I knew her for many years, and it was funny that those people at the time who were very much at ground level. Um, they're, they're now sort of top end people at the BBC or they've set up on their own companies and stuff. So yeah, I've sort of seen them through from juniors themselves up to sort of, um, you know, very busy people themselves. So no, it's, it's, it's great. It's been a real sort of steep roller coaster ride. 
So if yeah, there's any listeners I... out there who's either they're, they're sort of like getting to the, you know, in their late teenage years or their parents are listening, you know, it just shows that getting on a show like um, the Really Wild Show or, you know, the equivalent of, of, of that type of show now does, you know, could have a massive impact on your kid and, and, and yeah. set them off in a direction. Well, it's funny you say that because that's exactly the reason that I'm, I'm now doing what I do in terms of my own channel, my own YouTube mm-hmm. channel and my own Facebook page come channel. Yeah is that I'm very aware that there's very limited natural history um, telly programs for kids these days. And now I'm yeah, I'm 43 now. I'm sort of quite well established as a, a, a program maker myself. I know the ins and outs of these things now. And uh, But I'm very aware. I'm also a dad. I've got two children, Scarlett and Ethan. And they're um, they're they're twelve and eight, and uh, they're they're born and raised into it in the same way that I was. And yeah. so they're always. I, I put it this way: when when I go away on shoots, um, and I'm I'm away, I'll be away potentially like ten, twelve times a year, and a shoot could be anything up to about three or four weeks. And so I'm I'm away quite a bit. My my kids are brilliant. My wife is amazing. Um, but particularly my kids, my daughter, for example, she's twelve. And um, in the breeding season, in the egg laying season, when we've got the lizards, like we've got loads of lizards laying got loads of snakes laying as well it's an issue if i'm away during that period when they're all laying and so scarlet my daughter she uh, this is what she does right how many 12 year olds can do this she'll go out there she'll look at the egg laying containers when the females have laid she'll take the eggs out she'll then candle them for me and she'll then mark the tops of them and she puts them in the incubator and it's just wow yeah that's phenomenal she's there candling them and things and seeing where the embryo is is like wow that's awesome well done my husband. but you've obviously taken a lot of time to sit with her and go through all this and she's been with you whilst you've been doing it mate um it's funny you say that my daughter she's 13 now mm-hmm. and she's taken a massive interest in it and really um i was i've been in, involved in in reptiles since i was sort of like 15 and then you get to the stage where you have young kids and i and a house and I stopped keeping it was yeah. actually my daughter that got me back into them I bought her a corn snake and I was like yeah I want to get back into it again now yeah and uh, and she loves it so oh, you know good. breeding them I, I bred um the carpets um last year as a as be uh, really for experience for her to for, for to teach her and, and and for her to learn that is awesome and, and and that's it at the end of the day that is proper free education and entertainment isn't it the fact that yeah. you're embracing her in that lifestyle the fact is this is something that daddy loves doing yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. and it's something you can do together and she can and she can learn from you you can learn from her that's the other thing i've got from my kids is that they bring so much to the table in terms of their ideas and their directions in terms of the animals that we've got and we're handling and ideas and stuff and it's the more the merrier really that's the way i see it yeah 100%. The channel that I've, the, the reason that I've started my little channel, my, my Rob's Wild Adventures channel on Facebook and YouTube, is, is just for that very reason. Is as a father, I'm very aware that my kids are being born and raised into a lifestyle that I led when I was little. But that lifestyle is getting rarer and rarer because of, well, unfortunately, part of life these days is, of course, screens, iPads, yeah. mobile phones, tele, yeah. you know, internet telly, all of this stuff. Kids are there just, you know, kids who are ridiculously young have got their mobile phones now. And all of a sudden, instead of looking out their window and going off and exploring and actually getting involved in life, all they're doing is staring at a screen and looking at other people's lives. Yeah. And, and I find that really, really saddening. And so I just thought, again, what, what happened probably a couple of years ago now is when, when I've been abroad and I'm there and I'm missing my kids, I'm missing my wife, and I find myself 
wishing that they were with me. I wish you could see this awesome thing. I wish you could see this stunning view. And then before I knew it, I found that I wasn't just wishing it in my head. I was kind of speaking to them when I was there, literally laying as a seal climbs over my head or as a great white shark literally swims past my feet. And it's just, oh, my goodness, if only they could see see this. And it started making me think, right, OK, as well as telling them these stories of my adventures when I get home, um, why don't I actually start allowing them to live it with me? So I started using my mobile, just filming in totally rough and ready, totally crude. Hello, I'm and hello, I'm walking along. I'm looking for echidnas today. I wish you were with me. Hope you're well. And it almost was like a little postcard back to them. And then it started elaborating. And me being me, because I'm always getting, I'm always, I'm always jumping around. I'm always turning rocks and logs over. I'm always looking for stuff and trying to create interesting situations. Having yeah. one hand preoccupied with holding a mobile became a bit of a chore. It's not very practical. So I, I built myself a rig because again. Because of all the the experience I've got building remote cameras, bespoke cameras and things over the years, it's a doddle just for me to build myself a rig that I can wear. So I essentially become the spy in the wild, as it were. And so I rig myself up and then I started going out and I just it's literally I don't know what's going to happen. A lot of the time, nothing happens. And yeah. so, you know, I don't I don't obviously cut a sequence together of nothing happening. I only, you know, feature the actual interesting bits. So um, I then started shooting this stuff. And uh, in order to say to children, look, this is real. This isn't set up. There's no stooges. There's no putting a snake under a rock so I can turn it over and find it. This is the actuality of things. There's no crew here. No one's filming me. I've got no control over anything that's going to happen. This is what it's like to have a real adventure. This is what your parents should be doing with you. And I thought, right, mm-hmm. if people's parents aren't going to do it with them, I'll be their virtual dad and I'll take them out on an adventure instead. And that's what I've started doing with Rob's World Adventures. That's fantastic. And do you know what, Rob? Yeah. Um, we've had um, a couple of our listeners say, oh, guys, there is a bit of swearing on your show. Is there any chance that you can cut it out? Because <laughs> my kids want to listen to yeah. it. We yeah. did have a big discussion about it, and, and you know we're, we're always open and honest with our with our with our listeners. Yes, and we did say, look, whilst we appreciate what you're saying, um, mm-hmm. this show because of we talk about mental health issues, some of the guests that come on uh, are large and alive and quite colourful with their language. We're not mm-hmm. going to be able to cut it out. Yeah, but for those listeners that do want to get their kids involved in something really, really cool and really, really um, knowledgeable about reptiles and wildlife in general. um, Rob's Wild Adventures. Rob's Wild Adventures. It's absolutely perfect for for, Mm -hmm. for kids. It really is. You are you are gentlemen. Thank you so much for no, well, thank you okay. thank you so much for for, for mentioning it because as I say, all I'm trying to do, I'm trying to reach out to. I, I've got friends who their kids just stare at their screens and they're just scrolling through YouTube and I just say, oh my goodness, this is mindless. These kiddies mm-hmm. are like sponges. They want to create. They want to express themselves. They want to go out and do these things. They want to be as good as they can get. And if their parents are not are not necessarily that encouraging, then I thought right. I need to step up and be encouraging and literally lead by example. You know, I am very happy in my life. I'm a very well-balanced person, I would hope. And and I want to inspire people. I want to make people happy. And I want to create I want to create magical moments in people's lives because, of course, like you say, there's a lot of awareness with mental health these days. And I just think, right, sometimes 
just a helping hand, just speaking to someone sometimes and just saying, hey, are you all right? Or, hey, here's something gorgeous. Here's something magnificent. Let me mm-hmm. put a smile on your face today. Definitely. That can really mean an awful lot to an awful lot of people. So that's why I want to do it. And you know what, Rob, as well? It's an absolute scientific proven fact going out into the woods, uh, mm-hmm. into the into the countryside, it will help your um your your mental health or yeah, your your mental yeah your mental feelings. Absolutely, you know, it's, it's a known fact. See, so I'm, I'm going to completely um open myself up some banter here. Um, <laughs> so Yay, Danny and Mike, you know, hit me up. Um, so as of over the last couple of months, I've not had the. Uh, best of times with a bit of a relationship breakdown and it's all been a bit up in the air and mm. there is nothing more relaxing at stupid o'clock of a night or in the morning going through our local park and seeing what frogs and toads and other bits and pieces that we can find um now i know mike and danny are now <laughs> screaming saying <laughs> that i'm up to other activities um, <laughs> I just, I just know, I just know who you went to the park with, mate. <laughs> None of them are interested oh, in uh, in reptiles or, or amphibians. I'm not, being, I'm not being funny, but the, the the two of them have just bred um, glass frogs for the first time, so they yeah. would be interested in amphibians. Absolutely. Um, but, but I mean, what you what you were just saying then about going out and looking for things—that's part of part of an annual event that me and my kids do. Um, a friend of mine is the local sort of amphibian guy who goes out there looking in the storm drains on the roads and stuff because there's various spots around where we live here in bristol where there are these storm drains which of course when it's been raining the water thunders along them and the, and the frogs toads and newts that are migrating they get caught in them yeah. so he, he goes along at night with his and with his buckets and stuff and i said to my kids a few years ago look this is what my mate does it's really cool we could literally and again it's trying to make fun out you know it's not only really interesting it's, it's trying to make some fun out of it yeah and so what it is is like now me and my kids like my daughter has got a bucket my son's got a bucket as well and it's a case of right okay how many toads can you get in your bucket each and also in terms of ethan <laughs> do you want to have the males scarlet has the females so they can all of a sudden start to differentiate and before you know it they've both got like best part of 100 toads each in a bucket which is yeah. awesome and, and it's <laughs> yeah. bringing out the competitive side the inspirational side and the educational side you know you can't get any better sort of life experience for kids than that no, yeah, totally Until totally they want to bring 200 toads into the house yeah, and, that's and the, your that's wife it. has an absolute <laughs> breakdown. But it's, it's, funny, it's funny you say that because, again, when I was little, it's the sort of thing you used to do. You used to go out yeah. with a bucket or a jam jar, you find some newts, you bring them home, you bring some frogs home or whatever. But I, I learned from quite an early age, hang on a minute, if you bring frogs and toads and things home, you put them in your pond or whatever it may be, they hop out and they disappear. And then, of course, mm-hmm. you, you, you think, well, hang on, what's going on? Because you're, you're obviously a bit sad, the fact that gone to all this effort brought them home and they've all you know scarpered and then all of a sudden you think hang on there must be something going on here and you look into it and you realize that of course frogs and toads are incredibly sensitive with regard to their home territory and returning to their spots where they breed every year and so they're literally doing a runner to go home and so it then it, it dawns on you then that ah right if you want to encourage these amphibians into your garden of course it's great to have a body of water in there like a little pond or even like a sunken trough or something like that that will hopefully encourage any that are walking by to actually spawn in there but the best way to get the amphibs in your garden or in a local spot is to of course put spawn in or the tadpoles because then they can obviously grow up in that environment they'll learn the scent of that water so when they metamorph and they leave they know that that is my home pond they'll then spread out and go wherever but no come next year or a couple of years time once they're mature 
they'll come back to you. And it's all this little knowledge that you gain when you're little and you try these things and they don't work. And now I tell my kids, you know, when we've got a bucket of toads and my son saying, oh, daddy, can we take one home? And it's like, well, look, I'd love you to. And I'd love you. I know you'd love one as a pet, but we can't really simply for the fact that he's just going to do a runner and it's not going to do him any favors. So let's just leave him where yeah. he is yeah. and appreciate where he is. Love the fact that they're there out there. But knowing mm. that, right. By knowing how these animals tick, we get some frog spawn or some toad spawn or some tadpoles. We'll get them in our ponds, and before you know it, we'll have our own little population. And one of my fondest childhood memories, we had a pond in the garden. We had frogs, not Mm. so many toads, if I'm honest with you. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember finding a place, not just just down the road on the farmer's fields. There was sort of like a bit bit of, sort of like a sunken bit that held some water with a tree that had fallen over Mm -hmm. and and was lying in it. And we was climbing on this tree and I looked in and I was like, and I thought there were lizards and I I couldn't get my head around. I didn't realise that there was amphibians called newts at that time i mean i was probably only nine or ten yeah yeah and um i, I, I literally raced home to get a bucket and uh, and a net yeah. and i raced back and i managed i must have caught probably 20 of these oh, um, nice just 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 smooth newts and yeah. um I, I took them home put some in the pond and my dad had an old aquarium that we had in the garage um and he put it in that we had like a veranda at the time and he put it in and he got some of the pond water and we put a couple in and it was amazing i used to just sit there for hours watching the males with their tails coming back and start sort of like um you know flapping them about to, do, to, yeah to, to, to court the female yeah to it's court the female it is it's yeah. like looking at underwater dragons isn't it really and yeah so the fire the colours. fire bellies the, the oh, colors on the bellies were unbelievable gorgeous gorgeous I tell and, you, like, uh, it's in- interesting what you were saying about them thinking they were lizards because that's something i've heard over the years that people will find a migrating newt you know on their patio or on the farm yeah. or something and they and there was oh my goodness i've got this there's this lizard it's freezing cold it's sitting on the path what are we going to do and it's like well i know i know what you're saying is is all you know you're very thoughtful about it and you're very caring but ultimately just leave it alone he knows where he's going and, uh, and as much as we think always oh, freezing cold we've got to warm him up no believe me he's purposefully migrating right now because this is his perfect temperature to be migrating so just yeah. leave him where he is yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. definitely. So, I want to bring some up. Um, and I watched one of your videos today. Um, okay, and it moved me quite a bit. Um, <laughs> and it leads on to talking about a certain person, which I do want to talk about as well. Okay, um, because <laughs> you are that, you are an absolute jammy bugger. Um, we'll get, we'll get I might, I might need to go to the toilet before you mention his name. <laughs> <laughs> Behave, Michael. Right, so you, um, I don't want to go into too much detail because I want you to, I think you're going to describe it a lot better than I will. Sure. Um, but you were at a beach um, and you were walking up and down this beach um, talking and you came across quite a bit of um, unnatural substances. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Right. So do you want to explain roughly what that video is about? Where you yeah, was? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll give you a bit of context. I was. Um. I was in Indonesia. Um. Last year, and I was filming out there and on the island of Komodo, which of course is renowned for its dragons. But that's that's a totally different story. But I was. Yeah, I was off of Komodo, and by absolute coincidence, I was reading a book called Life on Air. But no, no, it was called Zoo Quest Diaries by a certain David Attenborough. And uh, it complete coincidence, just reading this book because it's just on the shelf. And uh, in it, there's the chapter about him uh, when he actually first did his zoo quest for a dragon to Komodo, which was over 60 years ago. And back then, 
it was pristine. It was absolutely immaculate and pristine. And it was actually really, really hard to get to Komodo because it was one of these islands of legend that very few people had ever been to. No one really lived there. Um, and they had to charter this skipper to, well, they had to try and find themselves a skipper who take them there. And it, it's a it's a brilliant story. If if you get a chance, just read just read um, Zoo Quest for a Dragon, um, because the the journey that this poor guy has got to try and get to Komodo, and put it this way, this skipper in the end he claimed he knew where Komodo was. Him and it was it was um, David and his and his crew, his very small crew. In the end, they didn't believe this skipper actually knew where um, Komodo was. So they showed him on they gave him a map and they said right. You tell us where Komodo is. He pointed to an island, which unfortunately in their case was Borneo. So it became very apparent at that stage that, hang on a minute, this guy hasn't got a clue. So they started oh. navigating their own boat, and before they knew it, they, they managed to get to Komodo. David had to row the last mile or two in a canoe to, um, to actually get to the island itself, because there's a big um, sort of perimeter of, of coral reefs around it. So he got to the island, he got to this absolutely pristine beach, and it was, it was just a glorious sight. In fact, he could go meet the villagers, heard of the legendary dragons, and the result is the program, the episode of Zoo Quest that they made, in which they actually went out and caught and filmed the first ever Komodo dragon, which was 60 years ago. So really amazing, proper, you know, boys' own adventure stuff. So I'm reading this book, I'm moored off Komodo, and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, this beach is talking about, is that beach over there? No. So I, um, I, of course, you know, my goodness, I've got to go out on that beach and have a bit of a wander around on this, on this, you know, this very beach. And what, because the imagery that David had conjured up in my mind from his words was so fresh in my mind, I was suddenly unbelievably shocked by the fact that here is this glorious beach and it is covered in plastic. This is an utterly remote island that is, you know, many, many miles, hundreds of miles from anywhere else. And yet this thing is teeming with plastic bottles. Um, there's even syringes. There's plastic. There's just so much plastic on this on this beach. And I was totally hit by it. The fact that this place is so remote. And I just thought, right, I've got to make a video about this. This is ridiculous. The fact that I'm so inspired by David to be here. And uh, so I made my video. Um, and the thing is, though, obviously, there's a lot of a lot of you know um, conversation at the moment about plastic and this, that, and the other. What I, what I'm very aware of is because ultimately, if you want people to listen to you, you've got to try and understand your audience. That's something very very apparent when I make wildlife shows. You've got to understand your audience. You've got to you've got to try and get inside their heads in terms of right, what do they know already, and what turns them on in terms of keeps them inspired and interested. And the plastic thing at the minute, I think there's so much plastic information around. Um, that people get totally, oh my goodness, I've heard it all before, plastic's bad, and they switch off to it. Now, of course, that's you can't do anything with that sort of mentality. So what I tried yeah. to do with my video was obviously be shocked by what's going on, because I was, but then it's a case of, right, let's actually sit down and think about this. Plastic is actually awesome. We've invented plastic, this incredible product, because it, it does amazing things. It, it keeps things waterproof. It protects things. And it's got amazing roles in our life. The problem we've got with plastic is that we've kind of overexposed ourselves to it. We've uh -huh. used it too much. We've taken yeah. advantage of plastic. And the result is it's now blooming everywhere. And, um, of course, our ability to get rid of it and things is completely dampened by the fact that plastic generally doesn't break down because it's so good at keeping moisture out. It doesn't, buy it, it doesn't break down. Which yeah. of course is it's 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 positive thing when it comes to preserving things it's for its purpose, it. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and it's so what I've tried to do with that video is to actually sit down and say, Hey, rather than just say, Yeah, bam, plastic, plastic's bad, which doesn't help anybody, is actually try and think about right, what does plastic do? 
plastic's really useful. But when you see it in the wild, like here it is all around me on this beach, this is what happens. It starts off big, it gets smashed up, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, but it doesn't break down as such. It doesn't disappear. It eventually no. becomes tiny bits of plastic in the sand, which gets eaten by animals and works its way through the food chain again. And before we know it, you and I are eating it all over again. Yeah, it's getting into true. our lives. And so it's like, right, crumbs. It is brilliant at what it does, but we can't carry on like this because ultimately it's probably going to kill us. Yes, so it's just killing stuff. everything. And isn't so it? what I tried, tried, tried well, to do myself and also what it'd be great for people to start thinking about it as well is just start to assess yeah, plastic is cool. It's very, very useful. But do I necessarily need it to wrap up a bag of apples? Do I necessarily need to be doing this, that and the other with plastic? And it's, it started really affecting my choices when it comes to the things that I buy. Um, and so if I see things that are gratuitously, gratuitously wrapped in plastic, I just think, no, that puts me off. I, I don't want that thing. I'll, I'll find another way because we all need to think like this. We all need to find another way because we're literally going to drown in our own plastic. Yeah, well, I, I'm, yeah. Literally, I'm literally just looking around my, my room at the moment. Yeah. So I've got a, a bottle of, I'm going to say Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. I'm being good. It's diet, but it's a plastic bottle. Yeah. Um, yep. I've got deodorant cans that are wrapped in plastic. Um, yeah. I vape the bottles; they're plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got three three plant pots; they're plastic. Yeah, um, I've got a, a tub of PVA glue that's plastic. The TV's yeah. plastic. Even um, even things that you don't even think about being plastic probably have plastic components. Like my mobile phone that I'm chatting to you on now, that, it's got plastic, plastic components, and yeah. it's and that's that's the thing. It does have a really good use for so many things in our modern human world. Rob, the major problem I've got, and that's yeah. fine because you're using them all. But the problem I've got is everything that that Hoss has just spoke about probably came wrapped in plastic, yeah. Yeah. and that's just thrown away. Yeah. yeah. So, so I've, I've brought this up before. I was at a service station down towards London. I think it was Oxford Service Station, if I remember correctly. Mm. And me being the fat person I am, I was buying a subway. <laughs> and um, <laughs> but you go for a twelve inch, won't you? You always go for for the first time. Oh, no. <laughs> hey. I've, 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 I've had a few foot longs in my days. Um, so uh, that, that's where the tone just gets loaded completely. Now, um, <laughs> see so, what you got to realise is that uh, Rob's used to doing kids things. He's on our podcast now. He could just, he could just, <laughs> let, he could just <laughs> let, let it a good bit. Bit. I do like right potty, I'm all good for that. <laughs> so. Um, so I'm in the queue, and there's three or four people in front of me, and mm. they're buying a sandwich. Like, it's not hard to carry a sandwich without a bag. And yeah. there's three or four people, and they all, you know, just had a, a, a sandwich, and would you like a bag? Yeah, no problem. Goes on, goes on, goes on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It comes to me, and she, um, I ordered my sandwich. I had a 12-inch B- Italian BMT, all the trimmings, bit of chilli sauce. Right. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I'm hungry goes, now, aren't you? Oh, I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> she's, would you like a bag? I was like, no, thanks. Are you, are you sure? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely I, sure. I'm fine because what's, what's going to happen is, to mm. that table there, and I pointed to the table, so I'm going to go sit at that table and eat it. Mm. So that plastic bag, its its life would be about three, four seconds, <laughs> and then it goes in the bin. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I said, uh, and she kind of looked at Horrible, me. Isn't it? She, she kind of looked at me, a bit, a bit of um, resting bitch face, best way to put yeah. it. And I went, oh, I said, right, okay, wrong person. Um, those three or four customers before, they've all done the same thing. They've all gone yeah. and sat down the tables. That bag hasn't been used. I went, do you like animals? She went, oh, I like animals. Do you like ducks? 
She went, yeah, I like ducks. I said, have you ever fed ducks as a kid? Said, oh, yeah, we always, you know, sometimes we take my niece and nephew down, we feed the ducks at the park, great. Well, the next time you go to the park and you see a duck choking on a plastic bag, mm. it's because you yeah. offered a fucking Subway bag for a sandwich yeah. that, that moved all of about four metres. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and that and that's exactly the point to be made. You've, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. It's to have these conversations and to start to make people think in terms of: Do I actually need this bag for me to be able to achieve what I want to achieve? And a lot of the time, it's we're, we're on this autopilot these days of the convenience of plastic being everywhere. But when you yeah. start questioning it, you realise that we don't need any of this. It's a complete yeah. waste of time. And yeah. and, and like like it's you like say, when, like, like you, you know, say that. I'm oh, sorry. Carry on. No, I was going to say, you know, you know, when they came out with the the um, originally came out with the charge for carrier bags, five mm. p a bag, and there was absolute uproar about it. I won't even lie, I was fuming mm. for about five minutes yep. until I yep. realised that actually this is a this is brilliant. This is the UK take it tackling a global problem. problem. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely, a global problem. I and mean, it's, you it's know. not it's not hard to take further as well. So, um, I've never no, make them a quid. Yeah, I've never really <laughs> been much of an eco warrior. I've never really thought about it. I think I was quite ignorant to it. And I went to a reptile shop in Ross and my rainforest exotics. Um, mm. She's David Howard, and mm. I sat down and I spoke to his wife, and she's an absolutely she's a lovely woman, and she's very much um, she, she sells vegan products and the whole reuse recycle thing and all that there's a lot of bamboo, bamboo stuff, yeah and she yeah. she completely baffled me and opened this world up that i really didn't think about before and mm-hmm. I, I walked away with um a shampoo bar you know no plastic and i bought a, a pair of bamboo socks um and other bits and pieces bamboo related products um and then I bet they're a bit, bit splintery, aren't they? Uh, but they are the best socks <laughs> ever. They're really soft. Um, I, I tell you, what, you, you've done a lot of expeditions and a lot of work, and you've been doing it all wrong because you're wearing cotton socks. Yeah, all I want to say, you, you will never have sweaty feet ever again. You don't need socks where Rob goes. Mate. You need sandals, mate. <laughs> I, tell you, I need body a... armor a lot of the time. <laughs> There's another thing as well: is yeah. kids' toys. Yeah, I am absolute at Christmas and and birthdays, especially for my daughter. Mm. Mainly, she's six now, and she likes all these LOL dolls and all this good stuff. And the I can fill my entire recycling bin from Christmas toy rubbish. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I will. I mean, first, okay, let's let's break it down. You have one present. Let's say, for instance, it's, it's one of my daughters. Uh, dolls or toys you know and first of all she takes off the wrapping paper yeah which these days is has more plastic in it to make yeah them it's not paper anymore is it no, no it's not paper anymore at all i mean it, you can't rip it these no. days yeah um so you get through that and the sellotape plastic again all goes in the all goes in the bin yeah and then you've got a, a cardboard box that is all lined with plastic so you can see into it. Yeah. Right, with a plastic window. Yeah. And then you take that out, and then inside there's a, a like a cardboard tray, if you yeah. will, um, where it's attached. And it is wrapped with a dozen, at least a dozen of these bloody wire clips. Yeah, that I know. All, all, ca- all cable ties as well. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. All, and they're that, all, they go every back single, plastic. Yeah, every yeah. single element is made out of plastic. I mean, I think what we need is is 
one of these big companies like Amazon or mm. uh, Toys R Us or something like that, Argos. Well, Toys R Us aren't going to do anything at the moment, mate. Well, no. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, to make a stand and say, right, that's it now. All of, all of our toys and all of the things that usually are wrapped in seven kilos of plastic and, and cardboard are just going to go in like a recyclable um, sealed bag. Yep. Uh, like a, 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 you know, like a brown paper bag or something with just, you know, one label on it. But we're going to go eco-friendly, do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and do something like that. Make a stand mm-hmm. and, yeah. and everybody else will follow suit. Yeah. Because the amount of plastic... And, and I think that's the that's the worst thing, personally. I mean, even even your sandwiches, you mm. know, they're, they're coming with the cardboard box with a bloody plastic front. Yeah. What's the point in that? I know. I, you know. Just tell me what's in the sandwich. I don't need to see the sandwich. Do you I, know think, most- I think a lot of the time you know I mean? it's just crept up on us, though, hasn't it, really? It's only when yeah, you look around now and take stock, you realise that, you know, it has literally become everywhere now. And it's, yeah. it's not necessarily anybody's fault. It's just because it's such a convenient, useful so product. Convenient, yeah. Obviously very cheaply to, cheap to produce that mm-hmm. it's just crept on up, up on us. But thank goodness we're actually saying, hang on a minute. Because the, the thing that's got me after, after the plastic video in Indonesia was um, you obviously do your research and look into it and things like that. To see the issue, because again, I see this a lot when I'm abroad. You know, as much as we complain about plastic and mess here, honestly, you go to some places abroad and honestly, you've got no idea. It's just like flipping egg. There's just well, they say they they say there's a few countries in Asia or something that yeah. apparently makes 65 percent of the of the uh, oceans plastic. Right, I can um, I can quite believe yeah. that. And you can and, you, and um, again, it's a different sort of mentality to us here. But but put it this way, and again, this is something I sort of read about after being in Indonesia was um. It was saying what we're saying, what we're seeing here, the problem all around us is the result of, of course, historical plastic over the past 50 or 60 years, which, of course, takes hundreds of years to actually break down. So we're literally seeing the result of what we've created in the past. This is coming around to bite us in the bum now. But what Mm -hmm. we've got to bear in mind, though, is in America alone, they still produce because of the petrochemical industry. They still produce 50 million tons of raw plastic products per year that's not even been used yet. So there's 50 million tons a year still being made by America alone that's not even in circulation yet. It's just sitting there waiting to be used. Wow. And so it's like you think, right, you think it's bad now? You wait. There's all that stockpile waiting to be used yet. That's yeah, going to go yeah. all around the world as well. So, Absolutely. oh, goodness, it's, it's a shocker. But And what, and what to, happens to it if they decide, okay, well, well, it's getting that bad. Maybe we shouldn't use this. What, what are they going to do with it? I know exactly because they can't exactly with what they can do burn it. Yeah, there's nothing they can do with it. Yeah, I mean, it's, big, it's, it's almost like they've got to use it now. Yeah, it's a big old blob, and again, it's all come from the whole petrol industry, isn't it? Really, which mm-hmm. you know drives a lot of human desires, unfortunately. But it's a byproduct of that industry, and it's sitting there waiting, and inevitably it will be. It'll, as you say, it'll either be used, and so it's going to be floating around for the next four hundred years, or it's going to be buried, or it's going to be burned. Either way, it's not going to do anybody any good rob can well, I maybe, ask we you should, a maybe we should maybe yeah, yes, of course. Wait, of course. Wait, you're a very passionate person do you swing your arms around a lot when you're getting passionate and are you in a small room because i'm hearing lots of little banging i don't know if anybody I'm sorry. else is really <laughs> not, not, really, not, 
Not really. I'm, I'm just sitting on the sofa holding my phone to my face. Oh, okay. No, I, I can hear some crackling. That's all. I might, be, I might be, yeah, I might be gesticulating a bit. I will be less gesticulatory by 25%. <laughs> I don't, so know, what I don't know if it is that, if I'm honest with you. It might be just, might be just my earphones. I'll try and keep a lot less. I'll, I'll be a lot less enthusiastic. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. Don't ever do that, honestly, okay. man. Could you de- decrease it by 26.5%? Oh, Sorry, Danny. You was um, mate, you I was just I was just gonna no, I was just gonna say on a pod on a a few episodes ago, uh we were talking about uh palm oil. Yeah. And um we each came up with a little bit of a suggestion on how to cut out um the use of palm oil and how, how we could all do our little bit. Yeah. Um, and we all mm-hmm. said, you know, that, that uh, a really good idea and a really good way to to make a start is just cut, just go around your house and find all the products that have palm oil in them. Just cut one out. Just to yeah. start, just cut one just out start. of your household. So if you use a hair gel or something like that that happens to have palm oil in it, that's it. Cut it out Go and go and find an alternative. So cool. maybe maybe for us and for the listeners, again, just one little thing. Go, go around your house and think, you know, I buy that quite regularly. It's made of plastic, entirely of plastic. Do I really need it? It's mm. even um, something as simple as replacing your toothbrush to a, a bamboo yeah, alternative. Yeah, or, or you've just built this bottle of, like, as you say, Diet Coke or something like that. Reuse that bottle. I mean, that yeah. bottle should technically, if you keep it clean, should, should, should last you a year. Yeah. yeah, you, you could refill that. It's funny, hundreds it's funny, of times. It's funny you say that because um, um, my dog is on uh, raw food and mm. it comes in plastic, if you can imagine, uh, like your Chinese takeaway tubs. Yeah, so I, I, I actually I'm, got I'm in exactly touch the same with them. As you. I mean, yeah. It's one of my bugbears because our dog eats raw meat as well. Yeah, so, I was so saying I'm, the other day, why does it need to be in these polythene containers? Yeah, I've messaged the company yeah. and fair play to them. They've come straight back and they've said, look, we have changed our packaging so it's fully recyclable. Yeah. Um, and I said, well, what about sort of like, you know, you having it back and reusing it? And and, and I can understand. What, I mean, she's been ever so good. Her name was yeah. Mandy. And she says, look, Mike, she says, you know, we have to think of it from a hygienic point of view. Yeah. For these to be used again, they have to get them up to a temperature. But because we've changed the plastic that's fully recycled, it ends up melting so i've she's 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 answered everything i've asked of her if i'm honest with you but i've now said right then um at doncaster um this is you know does anybody want to use these for crickets or whatever i just don't want to see it get recycled i want it to be recycled properly which is by being reused as opposed to recycled yeah. melted down and reused that's the best way of of, of recycling anything is Another to give good, it someone else to, for them to use it. Another good idea for things like that, Hoss, um, felt sorry, um, right, is um, uh, little containers like that. Um, you can put them in your garage or in your in your shed or in your workshop or whatever, and just keep different screws in. Yeah, which yeah. is really handy. Just like yeah, organising things. Um, I think what, yeah. you, what you guys are doing like is, is really hitting the nail on the head in terms of every little helps. To yeah. coin a phrase by by a certain supermarket, but it's just it's just for people, if, if every single person just took a moment just to think about our actions, even on a tiny, tiny scale, like you say about a toothbrush or a plastic tub, when you yeah. look at any product made of plastic, just look at it and just give yourself five seconds just to think about, right, 
do I really need this thing? And then also, if I do commit to buying to it, I'm am I, am I going to do the right? Can I thing reuse by, it? Yeah, can I? Yeah. Can, am I am I doing the right thing by the environment? Because at the end of the day, by my purchasing a bit of plastic, ultimately, what's that bit of plastic going to do beyond my like you said earlier on, my four seconds of it being in my hand with my sandwich? Yeah. And beyond, beyond that, I've then literally reaped a bit of plastic on the world. And you could almost, I, I try and spin things a lot, to spin things around a lot of the time to try and see it from other people's or other, other situations' perspectives. To think that, right, okay, when you see David Attenborough talking on Blue Planet 2, talking about this, this baby um, whale has died because it's ingested... Um, is ingested a plastic bag, or when you see a turtle and he's and it's a horrible picture of a dead turtle with a plastic bag hanging out of its mouth. Put it this way: you personally could have been responsible for that plastic bag being in that turtle's mouth. It, you've not done it on purpose. You've not, you know, you're not purposely bought a plastic bag knowing that one day you're going to kill a turtle. But you may have inadvertently bought a plastic bag and you contained something in it for five minutes. It's then gone in the bin and then it's been blown across a field and then inadvertently it's gone in the sea. And at some stage, halfway around the world, because of course these things do drift on the currents, a turtle has come across it. And now that bit of plastic that you once bought is now famous for killing that turtle in that photo. We're yeah. all responsible for things, even if they're not on our doorstep. And so I, I make this decision now about every bit of plastic. It's like, right, am I actually doing the right thing here by buying this piece of plastic? And a lot of the time it's a case of, no, I don't want to buy it. And I, yeah. and I can imagine as well, everyone who's just listened to you say that, how mm. guilty they feel as well. Like, yeah. I, I, I feel guilty. <laughs> I, I yeah, really I try. Um, I, again, like I said earlier, I wasn't really an eco-warrior to begin with. And talking down, uh, talking with Lindsay, um, about what she does, she opened the world up, and I do really try, and I slip up every now and again, mm. but I, I, every day I do try to make this conscious, conscious effort. When I go to the... We're only human, you know, we're, we're only human, we've got our own stresses, our own difficulties in life and stuff, but it's just, just for the sake of thinking about how it enhances our life, like for example, when any one of us goes for a walk down the street, or going for a walk, in, you know, lovely walk in the country, we, we, we'll be having a lovely time, we do it, because like we said earlier on, it makes us happy. It's good for our children. It's good for our well-being. It's good for your life. You know, all of these things. If you're there and you're seeing a plastic bag blown across the field, or you see a coke can or whatever it is thrown, or a you know plastic bottle thrown in the hedge, you go, oh, that's ruined my experience. And and this is what I try and tell my children is that yeah, it's ruined my experience. It's it's ruined my being there. My moment of happiness today yeah. has been ruined by that plastic bowl or that plastic bag or that bit of rubbish. And then we'll moan, go, oh, some little out's thrown it there or whatever. But then again, I spin it round and I say, no, for all I know, that's my plastic bag that I yeah, bought last yeah. Tuesday and I threw it in the bin. And as far as I'm concerned, it did go in a bin. But unbeknownst to me, a gust of wind caught it or in the process of that bin being emptied, it blew away or whatever. So I'm now actually seeing the, the flip side of my buying that piece of rubbish in the first place. And it just makes you more thoughtful with regard to we're all responsible for everything that we see in the field. Somebody's rubbish out there is your rubbish. Yeah, right. 100%. Um, I'm going to change the, uh, the, the the conversation a mm. little bit. I'm going to do a Chris Newman and say, let's go right the way back let's again. Take it, let's take it back. Let's take it back. <laughs> go for it. So, so um, you you spoke a little bit about your, your childhood and, and, and how you was involved with animals and whatnot. I believe then you sort of like you went away and did your A-levels and then you did your zoology degree. Mm-hmm, correct and then hold your head up high you did your master's degree well done thank you 
um and you were still doing sort of like freelance work um yeah. in bristol at that time that's it and then after that you walked straight into your full-time job I do. straight after uni yes. and you was a researcher for yep. a natural history unit yes yes so how did you how did you sort of like it was was that through sort of like your background, your contacts, and what you was doing at yeah, the time? Yeah, I, I kind of started early because, of course, I'm now I'm now the receiver of many many CVs from graduates from uni saying, "Hey, I want to get into the natural history industry. I love animals. I love I love you know filming or whatever it may be." But because of course it's a really desirable industry to get into because it's you know it's great. You're outside. You're dealing with animals. It's all. Do all you want good my stuff. CV? Don't start again. He's a bit of a he's a bit of a slut and um, most of our guests that come on, he will try and get a job with them. No worries. But what I what I tried to do, uh, you know, I was only fourteen and things when I first got in to the to the industry, as it were, uh, as a schoolboy, is by by doing that is that I was essentially networking without realising it by talking to people by you know expressing your passion and essentially doing what I, you know I kept the animals and things not because anyone made me do it or anything like that it's because it made me happy and it's what I wanted to do yeah. and so I I then did a lot of my you know my own research and things you know studying my and wasn't just keeping pet lizards and stuff I was there watching them like like you described with your newts and things it's what we all do when we keep stuff we do it because we love them and uh, but I was then sort of scrutinising watching their behaviour trying to learn about them as well getting inspired by them and things and so that obviously came across when I was then speaking to the people at the Beeb all those years ago and it, yeah. it, but the thing is though to cut a long story short in order to get where I am today I've had to work really hard. Hard. nothing i've got has been given to me everything that i've achieved to today is because i've said i've got to do this right how do i do it right i need to speak to so and so i need to make this i need to climb up that mountain i need to like for example a lot of the remote stuff that i do now with the remote cameras it doesn't exist the spy cameras don't exist you can't go and buy them we have to make them yeah. we create we create them in our heads and then we work out how they're going to work and then you have to work really hard to find like, for example, the model maker who's going to build the outside of it, all, the animal guy is going to do the inside of it. Then the cameras yeah. themselves, a lot of the cameras themselves, I, I make myself, I strip down. And, and you know, because you know that nothing exists unless you make it exist. So if you've got an idea, if you've got a passion, the only result, the only result I see is a positive one in terms of then you will make it work because you will be tenacious and you will find the way. I've, I've had many friends over the years who've said, I want to get into the industry. How do I do it? And I tell them, look, you've got to talk to people. You've got to try and do work experience. You've essentially got to do a lot of free work as well. You've got yeah. to be constantly chasing people, trying to, you know, be persistent, but don't be annoying. It's it's like trying to get yeah. any job, isn't it? You've got to, you've got to, there's a lot of... You've got to hound them to a degree. Exactly. There's a lot, of <laughs> a lot of timing to it, a lot of timing and being in the right place at the right time as well. Mm -hmm. But then you create those situations by constantly being aware and, and hunting for it. And eventually you'll find the way. But so it, you won't be handed it on a plate because there's so many people trying to do it. So Rob, this is this is really great. But how did you create? How did you create that instant when there was a certain person in your garden? Oh, we can't, we can't mention that yet. We, we can't. Can. We can't. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm busting, Mike. I am, I'm busting here. I need to hear about this. Well, 
Well, my my next question was going to be sort of like uh, leading on to that was sort of like with regards to your your job and your first production as a a researcher, field director, Mm. was a wildlife special, wasn't it? It was called called Serpent, and it won. Oh, it was presented. It actually won. Uh, it won an award presented to us by Jonathan Ross, which was called the. It was a. It was a TV series. It was an award ceremony on BBC One called the. I think it was called Best TV Moments or something. But yeah, we we won the best factual moment for that series for the bit in which the python actually swallows the camera, which Amazing. was great. And, and but the. But I, th- I think I think the chap that you're trying to desperately we you know wheedle in here <laughs> is that, that old chap who keeps turning up on telly whose name is yeah, that... now. What's he in what's, what's, What is his name? The, what's the, his the name? one with, with the dulcet tone. Yeah, of course, sir, David. something. Sir, sir. sir, that was it, sir, sir. Yeah, sir David, of course. <laughs> like I, I first worked with him back on, on the surface. Hang on, hang on. Years ago. <laughs> that, was me. that was me just passing out. He's passed out. So, yeah, that was my, my first sort of crossing of paths with Sir David. And that, that was Brill doing, doing, you know, he did the voice and things on that, on that program. And then. I um I've I've had various sort of crossings of paths with him. He used to do the spy series. He used to narrate the spy series. Yeah, now, I loved that. Which was great. And now we've got David Tennant now, but he's he's equally great as well for, yes. for many different reasons. But but Sir David recently, when he was I say recently, it was when again it was just by being in the industry and and being very a very sort of um, talkative person, you get to know a lot of people. And I've always one of my biggest passions has always been chameleons. I've always yes. loved cams. I've kept many. I did my master's degree on there on, on the details of certain cams from East Africa, and so they've always been a mega passion of mine. And so up until recently, um, well, yeah, sadly I don't keep chameleons anymore now. But up until recently, I kept an awful lot of chameleons, particularly um, relatively hardy, temperate ones that I used to keep out in my greenhouse. Yeah. Um, and uh, as a result of that, I was sort of quite well known for being a chameleon keeper and breeder in, in Britain and Europe and things and on various forums and stuff. But also in my career, I was renowned as being an animal handler and, you know, a reptile expert as it were. So I, I'd end up doing again through freelance work, doing a lot of reptile jobs and just through friends of friends. Um, a mate of mine was doing the new Attenborough series called natural, what was it called? Attenborough's natural curiosities. Yeah. And, um, and my, my fr- a friend of mine, he was actually a former producer that I worked with, and he actually set up his own production company. And he just said to me, oh, David loves cams. Is there a, da- is there a chameleon story that we could do? And I said, yeah, of course. We can, you know, te- goodness, they're the most amazing animals in the world. You know, the colour-changing, ch- color tongue-flicking, yeah. amazing- everything about them is awesome. And mm-hmm. um, and so me and um, me and the guys we sort of got together and came up with an idea in terms of right, how can we make the sequence? What's it going to be? And then and and they were like, well, where should we shoot it? And it's like, well, you know, you can use my cams. We'll do it in my garden, and we can do it between. You know, we'll do it between us. And the result is, well, that that photo that you see of me on on Facebook of me oh. and David in the garden. Did you did you just sort of like ask him to adopt you? Because I would. I'd just be like, please, will you be my granddad? Serious, serious question, Rob. Serious question. I've I've never ever spoken to or met anyone who has met David Attenborough. Yeah. Yeah. What genuinely? What what is he like off camera? Is he like the the most? normal chap an utterly normal chap like you and i now if he was chatting with us now he'd be bantering away albeit 
possibly. Oh, can we get him on the podcast, please? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, you know what? I reckon. Can I'd we cry. tell him about Hoss? Can we tell him about Hoss's arm? I reckon. I, I reckon I would cry. <laughs> I, 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 tell, I tell you what. I tell you what. We'll, we'll make a deal right here, right now. Yeah. So, Mr. Rob. Right. Yes, sir. yes. If sir. you can get David Attenborough to come on this podcast for at least three seconds, right? <laughs> I will just take, say hello. I will take you and your lovely family to the Blue Ginger uh, Curry House that. in Bristol. Oh, that sounds lovely. But but what he has to do, he has to say this. Yeah. And here we have Hoss <laughs> in his natural environment. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like we've got our own David Attenborough there already. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I would, I, I can't, because obviously he is a very busy man, a very important man. Oh, Rob. What, you, what oh, you've asked yeah, of, but, what you've asked yeah, but of you me. don't know how important Reptile and Chill is. <laughs> I, know, just, I know, and I know. I, 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 I have been asked that question many times and i can't obviously speak for him and <laughs> i but I, rob I, have you yes. been to blue ginger i can't say i have no it's it i've only ever been to one curry house in bristol and it's blue ginger okay. it's, okay. A, it's, it's a, a bloody deal. good curry house you oh, are miss yeah. you are missing out so much if you don't wow, know I'm, I'm a bit, bit of a curry fan what would you recommend everything <laughs> Oh, everything really? on the menu. Hoss is going to pay for everything. <laughs> well, I tell, I tell and Mike Phelps is I... going to give you a kiss. Oh, <laughs> for pudding. That's delicious. Yeah. My, my, kids, my kids were saying the other day we've not had a takeaway for ages, so I might well go to Blue Ginger actually and see what they've got. We'll get an array of things and uh, we'll give them a go. We'll, we'll expect Sir David on next week, yeah? All we ask is yeah. if you could just sort of like go... Have you ever heard this podcast called Reptile and Chill? I was on it talking about you the yeah, other week. And should, it's just, yeah. he, he loves technology, well, put doesn't it, he? Put it this way. I'll, <laughs> give, I'll, give you, I'll give you some examples of the gentleman that is David Attenborough. And you'll be, you know, we're all in awe of him when he's on TV because he's like a demigod, isn't he? He's, he's the closest most of us will ever, ever get to seeing the words of yeah. God, really. The yeah. ultimate yeah. wisdom with yeah. regard to the world. And, um, him and Him and Morgan Freeman. Oh, absolutely. He's very much the most important, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. but in, like, put, put it this way. Um, when um, I did the video on plastic, I was very aware of, obviously, just reading his book and the, the thoughts that I had with regard to what would David think if he was here right now? He'd be utterly, utterly gobsmacked. And so I, I said that at the start of the video. But then we, me with my producer head on, it's a case of, well, as it stands at the minute, I can't, I can't talk about David or, you know, essentially mention his name or his works or anything to do with him without his permission. You know, I, I can't do that. That's not, that's not how you do things. And so mm-hmm. I then, I shot an alternative version as well in which I didn't, I didn't uh, mention him for obvious reasons. And then the thing I did was I went home, I cut the video together, a very rough cut of it. And uh, I then, I wrote him a letter. And just saying, hey, how are you? Long time no speak. Hope all is well. And um, I explained the story behind the film. And I sent him, a, you know, on a memory card, just sent him the clip um, and just said, look, please give me your thoughts. Are you happy for me to put it out on YouTube and Facebook? Um, I think it's a very serious message. And obviously, I've mentioned you in it. Please, I will absolutely entertain any ideas or thoughts that you've, good on, that you've got about it. I'll do anything you want. Just let me know. And I sent it off to him and I thought, that's it. It's gone, isn't it? It's going to go on a pile somewhere and probably just be thrown in recycling. Mm-hmm. Literally within about two days, um, I'm there just at home with my family. I think it was a Saturday. And I went back and I checked my mobile and there was a mystery. I know what you said. Yeah. 
Oh, you really? go on Reptile and Chill podcast and I'll let you put it on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's exactly what he said. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. It was just a missed call from London number and I thought, oh, you know, it's probably some spam phone number or something. So it was answering machine message and I just answered it and, and, and listened to it. And it was just, um, hello, it's David Attenborough. And it was, um, and he, essentially he called me back to say, thank you so much for your letter. Of course, uh, long time no speak. Hope you're well of course you must put this video out there. You go for it and you say exactly what you want and good luck to you. And that was the message. Oh, you know what? Wow. I'm, get, I'm getting goosebumps. You just telling me the, all these stories. <laughs> it's it's crazy. crazy. You can be in touch with the common man like that. And it's just like, that is a gentleman. Hats off to you, sir. What yeah. Yeah. You know, another, another funny story. This isn't. This is, was told by my my boss John. Actually, he when he was doing the voiceovers for Sp the original Spy series years ago, and uh, they were doing some pieces to Cameron with David, and uh, they they were doing some stuff at the top of a hill, and David was sitting on the top of the hill, and uh, a lot of the kit was at the bottom of the hill, and um, one of our helpers, one of our um, our field guys, was also called. He's called Dave as well, and uh, John actually shouted, "Dave, can you go and get all the kit for us?" Meaning, of course, Dave, our helper, Dave, our helper. Lo and behold, five minutes later, there's David Attenborough walking up the side of the hill with a load of kit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that is not, not Do you know what? Right? Modest. So I mean, modest. he's incredibly fit for his age yeah, as well. Absolutely. But, yeah. but I watched, um, I mean, I've watched hundreds and hundreds of documentaries with him in. Um, mm. His voice in our house, you know, he's got the most amazing voice, that storytelling voice. Yeah. Nobody, yeah. I don't think, will ever be able to match it. It um, resonates. It just resonates yeah. Yeah, but, but what I love about him even more so now, he's so interested in new ways and technology and how can yeah. we push this forward. I mean, that blue planet about pushing it forward, pushing it forward all the time. Yep. You know, it was all about, it, he was saying throughout the series, some of the technology, um, some of some of the uh, technology hadn't even de been developed, and they were developing it whilst the show was going on, and then yeah. they were using it. He was, yeah. Just, yeah. and he loves it. No, he he's a little boy who's never grown up, and, that, and yeah. that's the thing that then goes. I obviously relate to from my own childhood, but then it's made me so passionate with regard to pushing it forward, with regard to the next generation of children who aren't going out, who aren't going outside. They're indoors staring at these screens, and that's what I'm doing with my channels in terms of right. Right, you kids, you are missing out on your childhood here. This is you what you're missing, yeah. So yeah. you can essentially be children. Because at the end of the day, you think your childhood is the happiest time of your life. You've got no worries, no woes. And you've got to create a wonderful childhood in order to be happy as an adult and ultimately live. Like I did a, I did a little video the other day of like in my shed, and I'm talking about a collar lizard. And I said, Crumbs, listen to me. I just sound like a child. And it's like, yeah, it's because I am still a child. Yeah, yeah. I may have got a bit bigger but I'm still the same child that I was when I was little. And the only way that I got created as that happy, enthusiastic child is by my parents inspiring me and taking me on adventures. And that's exactly yeah. what I'm trying to do with the next generation of children. And you, and you talk about being happy mm -hmm. and, you know, inspired, but on your first production in this wildlife special, yeah? Yeah. yeah. 
which took you all around the world yes. shooting different snakes. You wasn't happy all the time, was you? <laughs> because some, something made you unhappy one day. Well, possibly. Well, I'd say to, well, that what, what, you, what you're sort of subtly and discreetly and blatantly hinting at One of my facets of my life is that I could be perceived as having a bit of a death wish sometimes, some people would say, because... Um, what you're referring to is me getting nailed by a third lance. Yes, the one snake that you wouldn't that, want to get nailed by. No, no, that was that was very much an unfortunate accident. And, and one of these things that I look back on and think, right, how could I have avoided that? And I couldn't really, but and, I, and I'll tell you all about it. But the, the other thing that I, not, not as a result of being nailed by a third lance, is that part of my personality, and it probably drives me on in terms of, questioning things and becoming a film like being a good filmmaker and is that i question everything and that i'm very cynical and that i doubt a lot of things as well there's a lot of rubbish out there in the world that becomes a myths or sort of common knowledge which when you break it down it's utter cobblers and yeah. uh, and so i'm always a questioner of things when things bite you and sting you and scratch you and like for example bullet ant bullet ant is called a bullet ant because its sting is meant to be the equivalent of being shot <laughs> yeah. well well robbie p here when he's in costa rica didn't believe that and i thought right i'm gonna i'm gonna make a bullet ant to me on the finger because I, I don't believe it like, how can a bullet ant be as bad as a bullet that's ridiculous so i went and caught one and, uh, and fitting. Made, made it sting me on the finger and uh, initially i was like ah yeah exactly look my point proves look it's just like a pinprick <laughs> No problem. Bit stingy, bit tingly, bit like a bee sting. This is no problem, isn't it? Well, put it this way. Over the next half an hour, I experienced the most incredible pain I've ever, ever experienced in my life. It was an out-of-body experience. Um, and I would never, ever, ever do it again. Uh, but it is beyond comprehension, honestly. For your, I, I remember staring at my finger whilst walking round and round in circles trying to take my mind off this ridiculous pain. But looking at my finger thinking, how are you generating so much sensation? How is this possible? It feels like my finger oh. is six inches wide. How is this possible? But it was. And it, and it made me respect the fact that, oh my goodness, the, From an the, ant. the physiology of the venoms, of toxins and things is remarkable. How they, they trigger things in our bodies to make us have yeah. out-of-body experiences yeah. as well. That's wicked. It's but go, going, going back that's to all it is, isn't it? But yeah, just... going back to the Ferdinand story, that was um, that was the Ferdinand that we were filming. I was handling it for, well, I'd been, we'd been handling it for filming and stuff, and I put it back in its snake bag. And we were filming in this lodge in um, in Costa Rica. And um, inevitably, when we're, whenever, wherever we go filming, after a while, people get wind of what we're doing because it's cool. And people People they come along and they talk to you and I enthuse about what we're doing and I show them what we're doing and get them involved because at the end of the day I want people to be happy I want people to have a really cool experience from crossing paths with us and you know that's what I do and so we were there chatting one night to some American tourists and they were you know really interested in what we were doing and they said oh you've got a third lance and I was like yeah yeah I've got a third lance oh man we'd love to love to see it can we can like take some photos and I was like, yeah of course yeah no problem so I went and got this third lance I had it in a snake bag and um, I brought it out and we had, um, it was like, um, like a dining room, quite an open area. And uh, I got the snake out in the middle of the floor. Um, I'm, uh, that's the other thing I've got to point out is I don't use snake hooks or sticks or anything. I'm a very uh, rustic person. The, the, the most that I'll use is a twig. Um, so because anyway, I, 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 I'm, again, I'm, I'm me. I'm not trying to be anybody else. I'm not Steve Irwin. I'm not Mark O'Shea. I'm not anybody like that. It's all these 
these people do what they do and fully respect the fact that they do what they do. I do what I do. And I don't like people using bits of metal and grabbing things to deal with reptiles because I see it that a lot of the time when people are trying to handle reptiles, particularly if they're inexperienced or they're dealing with venomous, um, there's an element of fear particularly when people aren't experienced at doing it and they're more grabby and more stabby and more strikey towards the animal because they're scared of it. Of course, with time they get experienced with the animal and they're a lot more gentle with them. But I look, I've always looked at it that, look, these animals, I know they're venomous or they've got claws or whatever it may be. They can inflict injury upon us, but they're also incredibly fragile. And so I don't want to let my fear injure them. I'd much rather walk away and not go anywhere near it than potentially injure that viper or whatever it may be. So I don't use snake hooks. I don't use hook. I uh, don't use grabs. I don't do anything. I just use uh, my maneuverability or my ability to avoid them or I use a bit of stick or whatever I find on the floor to coax them. And then anyway, that's that's a million other stories of me catching cobras or whatever or puff ants. But but the photo lamp. Basically, story was, you, ba- you you just said there, Rob. That yeah. is why I just got nailed by a photo lamp. <laughs> no, that was Let me defend myself here because all of a sudden I've shot myself in the foot. Yeah, yeah, you don't need snake cooks. Everything's cool. Yeah, I got nailed by a photo. Nailed. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you. So I'm there. I've got this, this couple of American tourists. I've got this photo lance in a snake bag in quite an open area get the 30 on the floor um got him on the floor he goes straight into defensive coil as to be expected because he's just come out of a bag and he's in the open you know third lancer rely on the ambush patterns you know the colors on the back the camouflage to be an ambush animal whether they're hunting prey or they avoid prey or avoid predators by essentially keeping still that's what they do Suddenly, I've put this poor old Ferdy in a bit of a tricky situation because he's sitting on the floor and, uh, and he's exposed and uh, it's very bright and he goes into a coil and it's like, fair enough, he's in a coil. But anyway, these American tourists are taking their pictures. I'm just letting him sit there trying to chill as much as he can in this coil on the floor. The guys took their pictures. Everything's cool. Cool, guys. Right. Thank you very much. Right. Um, I haven't got any snake hooks or anything like that. I've got to get him back in the bag. So it's a case of, well, again, me being zoologist Rob, me being Rob who tries to get inside animals' heads and work out what makes them tick. It's like, right, what does this snake need to chill him out and get him back in his bag without me, you know, trying to outmaneuver him or anything like that, which I'm, you know, I may be foolish, but I'm not silly. So it's like, right, what am I going to do? So I thought what he needs is some cover. He needs some shade. So I got his snake bag and I made him a little cave. I put a little cave down and I essentially created a little dark spot for him um, that he was obviously hopefully in his little state that he was in sitting on the floor. He's going to see the dark area of the cave and he thinks I'll have a bit of that and he'll move into it. So I got a stick and I very carefully encouraged him and pointed his head towards the, the bag. Sure enough, he starts moving into the bag. Everything's cool. The psychology of snakes is working. Yes, he's going in the bag. Cool. He starts to get gets about halfway into the bag. And then, unfortunately, because this bag is, is a pillowcase, it starts to collapse at the back. And so the back of his cave starts collapsing. So he then starts turning around, moving. So it looks like he's going to move out of the bag. And mm. I, quick as a flash, move my hand the other side of the snake bag to essentially lift the back of the bag up to create his cave again. He sees that. He nails the bag. He nails the bag. And, of course, what's on the other Straight side of the bag is, is my mm. palm. And he nails me in the palm of my right hand. And um, anyway, I, you know, this is a bit of a shock being struck on the hand through a snake bag. Yeah. Um, and of course, I, ju- I jump back. These Americans jump. 
oh my god he got hit he got hit got they bit him <laughs> and i was like whoa 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 no it's it's cool it's cool because you know the other the other part of my job when i was at the bbc is that i developed the um, protocol for dealing with snake bites um for all crews because again yeah. sort of with my background and my sort of my love of the subjects i, I wrote all the, the the do's and the don'ts and the first thing with any any snake bite is of course you keep you cool because yeah. 40% of snake bites, like venomous snakes, are when they hit you, they're not actually, a lot of the time when they hit you, they don't even open their mouth. Or a lot of the time if they do open their mouth, they, they don't actually it's inject dry any venom. It's a, it's yeah. a dry bite, exactly. Yeah. So the first step is, right, okay, you've been envenomated or not, the first thing you're going to do is you are going to chill out. And mm -hmm. so I was like, well, no, it's fine. My hand doesn't, I've, I could see the puncture wounds. And it's like, well, my hand doesn't hurt. And I know uh, in... Um, Fertilance venom, there's a lot of serotonin associated with it. It causes a lot of pain. And I said, well, look, my hand doesn't hurt. I think it was a dry bite. It was cool. The cameraman I was working with at the time, he saw it and he was like, are you all right? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I think it was just a dry bite. Um, let's carry on working. So I bagged up the snake. He was in the bag, good as gold, put him away, carried on working. I was filming a type of snake called Sibon. Sibon is an egg mm -hmm. or is a snail eating snake from snail Central eaters, America. Yeah. They're brilliant. Absolutely amazing mm. little snakes. So I carried on wrangling these these Sibon for um for this on this this area that we were filming them in, and um and I just carried on as normal because that is what I've sort of indoctrinated myself to do, just to keep cool and carry on. So um after about 15 minutes or so, I noticed the bite site started to tingle a bit, go a bit pins and needly, and it started mm -hmm. to go a bit of a funny colour. It started to go in a bit purpley, and I thought, well, something's going on, but it, <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't feel bad. It's again part of the process of, of um, snake bite treatment is you keep cool and generally you will start to get life-threatening symptoms within within the first hour you'll have quite serious symptoms kicking in you know if things are really going to go pear-shaped then you'll know within the first hour yeah so i was about probably about 20 minutes 25 minutes in when my hand was going a bit of a funny color the pins and needles started spreading and it started getting quite numb in my hands to the point that even though i was protesting to the cameraman i was working with i'm fine i'm fine um, there's no pain yeah um, he was then pointing out yeah but rob you can barely pick up that sibon because you can't feel your hand anymore and, and it's like and yeah, that, are that, tiny that, that, that's a that's a fair point i do need to i need to you know, be able to use my fingertips now and he was like yeah i think you probably do need to draw attention to it a bit more now and it's like yeah i think you're right steve i think i do need a bit of help so i went um Went off and went to the local, I think we found a local doctor surgery and um, and they, they actually had Ferdinand's anti-venom there. They had polyvalent, polyvalent there, which was good. And uh, and they gave me they gave me a couple of vials of anti-venom. And anyway, cut a long story short, it escalated. Um, I ended up with eight vials of anti-venom. Uh, ended up in um, San Jose in the hospital with a drip in my arm because it, it continued to spread up my arm. My arm went totally numb. Um, and, and the thing was, this, this particular Ferdlance I had, Ferdlance are really interesting snakes because a lot of vipers, um, they start off neurotoxic and as they get older, they become more um, cytotoxic because they, right. as, they, as they mature, their diet changes. And of course, mm -hmm. as their diet changes, their venom composition needs to change as well. Yeah. The one I had was an intermediate. It was like a, it was like a large juvenile come sub-adult, a couple of feet long. And so it was, it was a bit of both. So I'd, what I'd essentially received was a major dose of neurotoxin, hence the effects that I was getting. But I was also getting local swelling effects and bit, I was getting and edema in my hand yeah. and up my arm as the cyto was kicking in. So I'd, I was getting like a double effect. And so they were then markers. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced or seen photos or anything of rattlesnake and puff adder bites. 
they're mm. heavily cytotoxic and um, yes. causes awful necrosis. You get massive swelling, and the, what they what they quite often do to alleviate the swelling is they cut you open, and they cut you open to allow the fluid out, to allow the lymph to come out of your tissues, and uh, and it's there to essentially stopping. It's essentially what your body's trying to do is seal itself off. It's trying to seal off and isolate almost through a series of like airlocks. Yeah. It's trying to seal the affected limb. But it's so the it's worst thing you can do for certain other other venoms, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so what what the body's trying to do is it's trying to isolate the bite site and say, well, fine, we'll drop the hand. You know, we'll we'll, we'll literally release the hand for the sake of the rest of the body. And you've yeah. got to remind, you've got to which remind is good, which is good which, for the body. Which is a good yeah. thing from a survival perspective, but not yeah. for me when I'm thinking I don't want to lose my hand. <laughs> I, I, tell, I tell you a funny thing, and again, this is this is oh dear, I. I don't know how much I should say here, but put it this way: I, I went against all do- I went against all doctors' advice when I was in the hospital, and with regard to them treating me, I did the complete opposite to what they told me, which was essentially I kept the boot, I kept it moving, and I I was aware of the lymph building up, and they were saying that we they marked me across the palm, they marked me on the back back of the hand, and they marked me along the entire length of my forearm, and uh, they were measuring me every couple of hours to see how much I was swelling and trying to work out when they were actually going to cut me. And I obviously don't want to be cut. And I, at the time, I was only like 21. And um, and you're sort of young, free and single and having a great time. And the doctor, he was a bit of a lad as well. And he was like, hey, just think it's, it's like, it's, it's the scars. You can show other girls. And it's like, that's cool. I do want to show girls, but I don't want to show them scars. I'd much rather have just like normal, healthy arms, to be honest. So um, I said, right, I hear what you're saying. I totally hear what you're saying, but I don't want to be the man with scars all over his arm. So I figure that, right, I'm going to manually remove the lymph from my arm. So what I did was for the next, geez, 12 hours or whatever it was, I just sat there physically squeezing my hand, maneuvering my hand. And then as soon as the doctors came back, I'd stop doing it because I would get told off. But as soon as they were out of the room, I was there literally manually squeezing the lymph out of my hands, trying to keep the circulation going because I'm thinking, body, you're brilliant. I love you. But I know what you're doing with my arm. You're trying to isolate it and literally yeah. chop it off for me. You don't need to do it, body, because I've got eight vials of antivenom in me. I'm, not, I'm a couple of hours in now. I'm not going to die. My heart rate's cool. My breathing's fine. You don't have to panic anymore, body. Don't chop my arm off. And so I physically squeezed it and squeezed it and squeezed it. And the result is now I have a perfectly good right arm with not a single mark on it. Wow. Well, so you, you struggled uh, talking to the women as a young kid then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, this, this is a bit of a – this is my personal experience. This is not advice that I'm offering to anybody because inevitably every bite is different. I don't want anybody following what I've just said. This was yeah. my personal experience, and this was my risk that I took with myself. Please, yeah, and it, it was perfectly it. obvious there, Rob, yeah. that your reaction to a Ferdinand bite was totally different to yeah. 99% of the bites exactly. out there. You didn't get that initial pain. Exactly, exactly. And, and I was being totally reactionary to my personal experience of, of the bites. And, yeah. and I, I say bites, I've been bitten subsequently by other venomous snakes as well, and I've dealt with them in various different ways as well so but that's that's another story ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, man i'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you another funny quick story um, i was handling a thing called blanding's tree snake which is a rear fang mm. boiger from east africa i've got a story about one of them as well have you really Go, yeah. you, you tell us your story right so i was in um zach's garden one of our friends um let's see danny and uh Mike, you know who they, who they are. Yeah. And there was a 
a South African uh, reptile keeper um, who come down to pick some snakes up. Right. And on, on the way through, he had, he had this blanding guy. Yeah. Um, now, he never really knew me at the time. And this thing was his full-grown adult, and it wasn't the nicest of creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're on the grass outside with, with this snake out. And he goes, oh, here, Hoss, have a hold of this. Yeah. Whilst it's there, mouth gaping wide is. open. Yeah. yeah, Mr. Daryl Raw. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And he's, uh, yeah, he's, you know, he's like, have a, you know, I was like, I'll have, I'll have the hook. Yeah, it's perfectly fine. You know, yeah. so he doesn't think I know what the animal is. Mm. Or he mm. just thinks I think it's a big ass colubrid and it's yeah. going to be fine. So I thought, right, okay, took a step back. I was like, I can do this. This, this. this thing wants blood. It's not nice, but I can do this. I don't need the hook. And yeah. like an absolute boss, <laughs> I pick it up, I handle it, yeah. and. It's fine. Yeah. He's there absolutely like mouth wide open thinking, what the fuck? <laughs> like, like this, 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 this animal's evil. It's horrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, they are. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, so I, I didn't need eight anti-venom vials or uh, I didn't need to palpate my hand nice. or anything. I, I was, well, I the thing about those, those boigers is, um, like you say, they're quite often used in venom displays or venom sort of um, education talks and stuff because yeah. they're very much at the latter end, you know, the lower end of the venomous snake scale, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And so they're often used as like a first snake handling and things because they are, as you say, quite feisty. But in terms of the venom capability, they're fairly down there. Also, I thought, because it turns out that um, there's a guy called Stephen Spalls, who's a really amazing um, East African uh, herpetologist, and he wrote a book called The Reptiles of East Africa. And in it, he talks about the toxicity of various East African snakes. And I know Pete, I know Steve's book quite well. And um, I was and I in the process of reading it, I knew about there there was no recent authenticated bites by the boiga um and so i just assumed well it's a boiga only things like dendrophila you know the mangrove snake is a big enough snake to deliver a, a powerful punch of venom so i figured all other other boigas and stuff i've had quite a few other boigas as well but in this case this blanford i i figured well it's fine it's, it's it's no bother if it nails me i'm not too fussed and so i was in a reptile shop and a friend of mine he had he had a big one big one about seven feet female mm-hmm. and uh, i was with my daughter and my daughter at the time she was little she was about four and uh, she just came in with daddy to see the lizards and the snakes and stuff and i of course right from the off i wanted to have a really positive reptile experience i don't want it to be scared and so i lead by example and so anyway we've got this this lamford eye out and um and i was offered hooks i was like no i don't really use hooks i, I just I just do what I do. Anyway, so we got this thing out, and it's properly defensive. It's all huffed and puffed and gaping at me. <laughs> and um, and this thing, and again, I'm immediately thinking, I'm not fussed about this snake because I'll get out of the way of it, or I'll just give it some space. What I don't want is for my daughter to see this thing springing around like some sort of mad bit of elastic because it's going to scare her, and I don't want to be in scared. And so um, I thought, right, okay, this snake's really grumpy. Um, I'll just give him my hand. And so, sure, because you see me a bit in my loads, like we've got hogs and we've got um, rhino rats and whatever it may be. She's seen me bitten by stuff all the time. And it's just, I wouldn't say I get bitten every day, but it's the sort of thing that I, I don't, I'm not fussed. It, it happens and then you it's, let yeah, it go and then you carry normal. on. Yeah, yeah. It's, just nor- it's just normal because, you know, there's, there's no risk apart from a slight scratch on your finger, which heals in a couple of days. So mm-hmm. with this boyger, it was just the same to me. And uh, I said to Scarlett, look, he's really upset snake. He's springing around. Um, 
and he just he just well he just bit my hand put it that way and i said look look at him look he's happy now he's having a good old chew on daddy's hand it's fine <laughs> everything's cool look at that cool look, you can see his teeth isn't it cool we're having a look at his head and it allowed her to get close and see what's going on oh it's cool isn't it oh it's brilliant right okay so anyway got the snake off popped it back in its fifth that was cool oh look daddy's got a bit of a bloody hand but it doesn't matter um i said to the guys in the shop look have you got any toilet roll or anything because i'm dripping a bit here um, so I wrapped, wrapped it around my hand. Anyway, lovely to see you. Come on, we've got to go and see Mummy because it's a Saturday morning. We're going shopping. So um, I then wrapped my hand up and then um, got Scarlet in the back. We're going to the shopping mall and it's totally normal. And then driving along after about five minutes or so, all of a sudden I pull a whitey. I go, I felt the blood drain from my face. I suddenly <laughs> felt really nauseous. And it's just like, ooh, ooh what's going on? So I, I pulled over on the on the side of the road oh daddy you're right you're right yeah i'm fine I'm, don't worry don't worry i just i'm just not feeling very well i'm just maybe it's something i ate you know sort of making <laughs> best of the situation but don't worry hon, I'm, I'm cool everything's cool right okay five minutes yeah a bit of a breather some fresh air and i'm thinking right what's going on this is really I've, weird I've, I've been beat by a ferdinand it didn't yeah, yeah this, this, this shouldn't be happening what's, what's going on this is nothing this is, the, I, I, this is what they use this is what the guys use in their little you know in their venomous demonstrations and stuff this shouldn't be happening anyway Let's carry on. So I carried on up to a, a big shopping mall up in Bristol. And by the time I get to the car park, I'm really feeling awful. Really feeling like, what is going on? I'm, I'm taking my pulse rate. My pulse rate is normal rate, but it's gone really shallow. I'm feeling utterly like a zombie. I've got, I can feel my blood's gone from my face. And then it's a case of, right, oh, oh flip. Well, I know there's no antivenom for this. Um, what I need I know what I need is, is my Bible. What I need is Stephen Spall's book. That will save me because that will tell me all about it. That's what I need. And so I'm thinking, right, where am I going to get Steve Spall's book? I'm at a shopping mall and uh, my, my house is about 15 minutes away. I don't really want to drive there because I'm not feeling very comfortable driving at the minute. Um, I know there'll be a Waterstones. Come on, let's go. So we went thundering off into, into, into there's, a, there's, a shop, there's a big shopping mall here in Bristol called Cribs Causeway. And so I'm walking through Cribs, Cribs Causeway. And honestly, if I could have done a Rob's Wild Adventures video at the time, it would be brilliant because I'm right. Okay. I'm looking at it from, I'm walking along through a ridiculously crowded mall, walking through all these crowds of people, a man literally looking like some sort of drug addict. My face is ashen with a little, with a little girl. That would have gone viral. Walking through a shopping mall. And I would have loved because one of, one of my cameras that I wear on my rig is over my shoulder. So it sees what I can see. And honestly, the looks on people's faces as they're walking towards me and getting out my way fast because I look like I'm going to stab someone. And because I'm, <laughs> my face, honestly, I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I'm some sort of heroin addict and I'm walking through a shopping mall with a little girl. It's not Who what looks, it looks normal. Like. It's not what it looks like. So I'm going through, I'm going through, I, I think the first thing I did was go to the loo because I, I wanted to have, I thought I was going to be sick um, and um, I wanted to have some water, I was thirsty, so I wanted to have some water. I need to get my heart rate up, I need to get my blood pressure up, so I need some water. So I go to the toilet, um, oh my goodness, when I walked in the toilet and I see my face in the mirror, it's like, oh geez, you are green, man. Look at your face. <laughs> What you, you need to you need some sugar, you gotta get your blood sugar up and you got you get your blood pressure up. So I'm drinking water, trying to get some water in me, trying to hydrate myself. Then right, okay, go to Waterstones, right. So I'm going to Waterstones 
and get to Waterstones. And then Scarlett's like, yeah, Waterstones. I love Waterstones. Let, can we go to the children's section, Daddy? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> in, a, in a minute, hon. Just in yeah, a minute, after this, after this. Can, can we just go to the natural history section for a minute? <laughs> yeah, okay, Daddy. Can I do some drawing? Yeah, yeah, we can do some drawing. But in a minute, can we just go to the, the natural history bit? Yeah, okay. So we go to the natural history bit. I'm going through, oh, flipping X. Steve Spall's book's not on the shelf. Okay, but the next, the next best thing is there. Is, um, what's his name? Harry, what's his name? Harry, oh, Ch- Harry Green. Harry Green's Big Book of Snakes is there. Yes, brilliant. Okay, so I'm spinning through there, going through the index. By now, I'm getting proper tunnel vision. My vision is really going to skew with me. I'm having trouble trying to focus. And going through, and, um, and it's like, why am I going through this? What is going on? This is Boigabite. This should be hematoxic at most. Going through, Boiga, Boiga Blanding Eye. Right, okay, there it is. Right, going through, reading about it. And it's talking in one of the venom sections, talking about um, Boiga. Boigas generally are cytotoxic apart from Blanding Eye, which has been recently found to be highly neurotoxic, similar to that crate. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yes. Now I know what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with neurotoxin. That's why I'm feeling the way I am. And I sit down and I'm like, yeah, phew. Everything's cool now. I know what I'm dealing with. It's neurotoxin. There's no entity venom. Pilly, you've just got to ride this wave. Because it's not going to kill me. I'm about an hour in now. My pulse rate's shallow, but it's my, my rate is normal, but it's shallow. Um, I'm going into a bit of shock. I'm feeling neurotoxin. There's nothing I can do. Right? Okay. Sure, I, I do. To... I do have one question. Yeah, go for it. Why? Why did the shopkeepers not say anything after you'd been? chewed by this uh, I guess they couldn't really say, oh, oh in the shop you mean well, in the yeah. herb shop yeah. Um, yeah it was a funny it was, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can explain <laughs> this completely because I played Ro- it down I guess so. were, they, no, were they smiling no, as you left it's not it even was, that Rob, Rob <laughs> Billy just got a bit. Rob Billy's awesome. It yeah, doesn't, it's doesn't just, matter. He'll be fine. Just down and sort of anyway. Yeah, see you next week. Bye. So I've established right neurotoxin. I can deal with neurotoxin. There's no antivenom. So what can we do? Eh? I can go to hospital, but what they're going to say? Oh, there's no antivenom. You have to go home to bed. Get you on a drip. So I just said, oh, right. We'll find mummy. And, but bearing in mind that mummy and my little son are knocking around in this shopping centre somewhere as well. Neither of them know what daddy and Scarlett have just been through. And, um, <laughs> and so I then, I then so I went, and, went and found her, found Bridget, my wife, and just said, hello. And and as soon as she saw me, she was like, what's, what have you done? And it's like, I've got, <laughs> got nailed by snake. And so, oh, right. And then it's like, I didn't tell you anything because I knew you'd be grumpy. But everything's fine. It's all right now. I've been to Waterstones. Scarlet's fine. She's none the wiser. I've been a good daddy. Everything's all right. I've managed to managed to keep this under wraps. So, um, but what I do need now is I need some chocolate. I need something to try and get my blood sugar up. So we went and got a Mars bar or something. Had my blood sugar. Got my blood sugar up. And then it's a case of right. And she's like, right, we've got to go to hospital. And it's like, no, we mustn't go to hospital because they're not going to do anything. They've got no antivenom. At the minute, I know more than they do. They're going to refer me to so-and-so. And before I know it, nothing's, yeah. they, they can't help me right now. Mm-hmm. All, I, all I want to do is go home and, uh, and I'll sleep it off and keep myself hydrated. And um, so went out in the car, went out in the car park. I then puked in the car park. All that chocolate went all over the floor. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> I, need, I need some more chocolate now. So we had to get more chocolate. And anyway, Bridge drove me home. I, by then, I was really getting quite, feeling quite poorly. I literally crawled up the stairs um, because I was just, my whole body was just totally buzzing with neurotoxin now, plus histamine reaction kicking in, plus I had major adrenaline rush going on, and I was just feeling the full force of 
the effects because that's the brilliant thing about venoms right venoms affect you because of the chemicals that they're made up with they they stimulate certain things in your body yeah. but then your body tries to counteract them by trying to pump you full of adrenaline and histamine or in the case of lymph it tries to isolate the bite site so mm -hmm. your body's trying to fight on your on your case really which is brilliant it also doesn't really help you because and it takes a lot it, of the activity away from the brain. It, it well. does, yeah. And, and I'm, I love the fact that my body's trying to do what it's trying to do to keep me alive. Can you just but do it a little bit less? Yeah, it's exactly. It's like, right, body, body, you can chill out now. Honestly, I'm home now. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. We can do. We can do with it. Just, just trust me a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And I respect what you. You did this your... last time. It was only yeah, a third yeah. lance. Crawl. We're, we're, we're all down. We're, yeah. We're, we're all animals at heart. You know. We've all. We've yeah. all. You know. These things are here to help us. But body, honestly, everything's cool. I've read a book. I think we're all right. So I've I read went, a book. So I, I, so I climbed upstairs. Went to bed. And just just went and just went to bed, and I was just all I could do was just say they were monitoring monitoring myself. I'm See, it just shows though, Rob. Yeah. It just really shows, you know. Yeah. People react so different yeah. to types of venom it's at different the times. Always. There's it's no the way mind. you can go. This person is going to act like this yeah. from this bite. It's a very 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 personal experience of yeah. a bite or a sting. Of, mm. of anything because like you say it's a bit like people who when they eat peanuts or they get stung by a bee yeah some absolutely. people they go anaphylactic yeah my yeah, son was anaphylactic to milk mate. you can't you can't predict it you can't yeah. and all you can do is react to it at the time and then learn from it and the same with you look for example in some snake venoms there's over 300 different chemicals in there yeah, yeah. Any, any one of those you could react to one of them your mate can react to another one until yeah. you experience it you just don't know and so of course antivenoms are there to keep you alive but um and but they're not a nice they're not a nice route like when you have a no. dose of antivenom it's not pleasant it's horrible yeah it's horrible, so many people so many people say uh, a lot of bites can be made so much worse if you panic yeah well, that was one of my questions to Rob. Yeah. Was like, as you was going through that, yeah. you didn't. So, with a Ferdinand's bite, you thought I should be reacting like this. Yeah. And because you wasn't, yeah. do you think you was in a calmer state? Uh, but then when the boiger bit you, yeah. you was going, I shouldn't be reacting like this. Yeah. Do you think then all when of a sudden it heightened your emotions yeah. and that uh, probably... I didn't... I, I, it's, again, because I was dealing with different venom compositions between the two. But I like adders, like I've been bitten, again, purposely did it, been bitten by an adder to see what it was like. And, um, and again, well, my experience of that was it was a very local sting made my fingers swell up a bit and stuff and it ached a bit and my lymph glands swelled, swelled a bit but it was a very local effect and the next person could get bitten by an adder and they die so yeah. I, i'd never ever recommend to other people doing what i do it's just you know i do do stuff as experiments sometimes. so a, a big big lesson to all our listeners out yeah. there yeah despite what rob said about not like using hooks mm. um yeah, obviously, with all these bites that he's having, let's use the hooks. As you know, my reasoning behind the hooks is because ultimately I want to look out for the animal. Uh, all the animals no. that have bitten me, none of them have been injured as a result. A lot of the time people come across snakes in the wild or even pet snakes when they first handle them. They squeeze them too hard. There are, you yeah. know, people were, in, were inherently scared of snakes for very good reason. You think our ancestors, for example, when we're out walking across the savannah or climbing in the trees, you think from their perspective, if you cross paths with the snake, you'll either have a neutral experience, as in it will, it will slither away, yeah. or you might have a negative one because you get bitten by it, and then if it's venomous, you're going to have problems. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's very rare and unlikely that you're going to have a positive experience from a crossing paths with the snake. And so generally, that's why I say avoid them. 
avoid them. Don't don't go for the experience. And that's why a lot of people as well, when they do want the experience, they've got this inherent physiological fear from our ancestors to be scared of them. And so yeah. they, they make mistakes. And unfortunately, a lot of the a lot of the time, the mistakes don't affect them. It affects the poor old snake because he gets squished or he gets whacked. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to try and avoid with the way that I deal with things. But I, I would recommend that for the sake of other people's safety, don't do what I do. So I'm going to predetermine what Hoss is just about to say. Whilst I'm conscious of time. Just conscious of time. <laughs> yeah. well, well, actually, I was just about to say, um, yeah. if we can just, if you want to carry on for the next four hours, um, if I stop the recording now uh, and start it back up, we can do that. But um, it's, completely, it's completely up to Rob, to be honest. Um, um, I, like the bloke I, so to, interesting. The bloke oh, can oh, talk. So interesting. Um, well, so, you're an hour sorry. late. I'm sorry. I know. I'm sorry I keep going off on one. One, but it's no, just, don't it's be good, sorry. It's great. You, you press the enthusiasm trigger, and I'm off. <laughs> but I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to because I, I must admit, I do promise it is. T- it's promise it's quarter past ten. Um, yeah, I'd I'd love to come on again. It would be great. Absolutely. I tell you what, yeah, so normally we have about a two-hour show. Yeah. Uh, we've still got to talk our bullshit after this. Sure, sure. Um, so <laughs> if we kick you off now... Yeah, of course. And then we'll, we'll have a Rob Pilly version episode oh, two. We'll sort something out over the next couple of weeks, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I was going to say as well, because I'd love to talk to you about the latest Spy in the Wild series as well. I'm, you know, we've, We're nearly finished shooting now. I'll cut it at the moment. We've got some awesome Herp stories in there. But the, okay, the problem so is... We'll maybe come back after that then. What, why don't you give us a little sneaky peek without giving us too much away so people have to come and listen to the next show with you on? Uh, well, uh, what I was going to say was, and I, I don't think we can really, we can't really use this and things, is that I, at the minute I'm not at liberty to talk about the content yes. of the next series. But there's some fantastic things there is, to talk about. Some, I, as, you, as you guys know, I'm a, I'm a real herper. It's my sort of heart and soul from my my early years and it's still very much fun. as much as I'm a general yeah, zoologist we haven't even talked about all your collection oh my word but but my as I say my, I'm still I'm just a big kid who loves monster film I love Jaws I love Jurassic Park I was inspired by them when I was little and as a result I'm very heavily influenced by them in my style of shooting and directing and okay. and put it this way when you see the next well if you'd seen the previous series of Spy in the Wild you'd have seen the crocodile sequence in which yeah. you know you go inside the mouth of the croc and the, the mother and everything that was one of my sequences that I shot you know that we shot and and it was it was ultimately what i wanted it to be was like a real life jurassic park a real life monster film mm-hmm. put it this way for the next series i've i've had no holds barred with regard to the next generation of um reptile related stories in that series they are awesome, awesome. they are awesome you'll, you'll love them that's Amazing. all i can say Mm. Rob, you've definitely take, take, got to come oh, back on the podcast oh, after that. Rob, honestly, and, <laughs> and I think I can speak on behalf of, of, of Danny and Hoss. We have never had to, we've never been able to relax so much on a podcast where somebody will just do all the hard work for oh, us. And, and, and I'm not joking, you. You do so. You, you He's not, talk well, really, really I'm, well. You're um, on par with uh, Francis. I've, Francis, who's Francis? Francis Cos, Francis Coschetti. Oh, he's he's cool. <laughs> you guys, you guys, you two are up there. I wouldn't, oh, we, I wouldn't oh, have used the word Francis and Cole. 
<laughs> He's a very enthusiastic guy. I'm yeah. sure Francis would. Um, Rob, before yes. before we do kick you off, yes. um, and I know we've got loads more to talk about, and you've sure. definitely got to come on yeah, again. Um, do you want to let everybody know, sort of like um, how they can um sort of like get involved with robbing the wild and and give for your um yeah oh that would be that just some links yeah thank you well i'm as i say i've got my my channels i've got my youtube channel and i've got my facebook page uh, both of which are called rob's wild adventures and they uh feature a whole array of videos that i've made only in the past year or so and the thing is though I'm, i'm making more and more of them now i'm getting more inspired i'm getting a lot of i can get a lot of feedback whether it be people directly messaging me directly through the Facebook page, I'll always reply. I usually reply pretty much immediately. Um, or on the YouTube page as well, if you subscribe, you can write me questions. You can. What I really want to do and what I really, really want to get with this channel is I don't just want to be making films and sticking it out there like it's some sort of telly channel. What I want is serious um, sort of audience participation. I want inspiration and I want to get people going in terms of I like that bit, but I didn't like that bit. Can you do this for me? Can you? I'd, I'd love to see someone go criticism, and constructive mud. criticism. Yeah, constructive yeah. criticism. But this is your channel for you mm-hmm. to speak to me as a program maker, and I will make you films. You tell me awesome stuff that you've always wanted to see, um, or stuff that you've always wanted to experience, or whatever. I'll go out and I will make it for you if I can. If it's within Madagascan my means that it might be a bit tricky. Well, <laughs> I, I, we're we're going to get all our list, listeners to start messaging. I think you should film David Attenborough being on Reptile and Chip. <laughs> <laughs> if I could, I would. I, I, can, I can hear the enthusiasm oozing from your voice. If, if I could, I would. And I know you would, mate. I'll have, a, I'll have a word for you. Just but give me a kiss from me. With the channel, with, with the channel it's, it's me trying to inspire people to get involved and Either go out there and do things themselves or let me know what you want. And if it's within my power, I will shoot it for you. It literally is a bit like a request show. If you want me to do stuff, if I can do it and I think it's cool, because ultimately it's got to be cool. It's got to be exciting. It's got to get you going and for people to go, whoa, Mm -hmm. that was awesome. Um, Let me know. If it sounds cool, I'll do it. Let's, let's, Let's see what we can do together. Nice one. Well, thank, thank you for your time, mate. Um, My pleasure. Lovely to talk to you. It's been absolutely fantastic. Um, Wicked. And, I, and I'd, I'd love to come on and actually talk about herps again sometime. Oh, <laughs> you are 100% coming back, Rob. Wicked. 100%. And then certainly, what, what I would say is with regard to if we talk about Spy in the Wild, the new series that I'm working on now, I can only talk about it once we transmit it, which is actually about next January. So it would be, I, I can't really say anything until we've done, done all our publicity with BBC. Oh. Well, you'll yeah, uh, you'll have to come on twice then, won't you? You'll have yeah, to come absolutely. on in a few yeah. weeks. I'll come on. And I'm, 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 like, for example, when the series goes out, there'll be loads of publicity about it. We'll get loads of feedback at work and stuff. And I'll come on and I'll talk to you guys about, right, if anyone's got any questions or anything about the series, whatever, you you just let me know. But in the, in the meantime, I'll come on whenever you want and we can talk herps till the cows come home. So you, oh, you let me know too. and we'll do it. Yeah. yeah. Right, okay. So you're going to have to exit the conversation now. I um, will. I don't yeah. have the power to kick you off, and I really wouldn't want to kick you off anyway. No, no he's worries. been a fantastic I will, guest. I will gracefully step back by Rob, the off button. <laughs> Rob, yeah. before you go, yes, love you, bye. Oh, love, love you. you bye. Love, love you, you, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> nice. Speak to you soon. Uh, Thanks, care. Rob. Bye-bye, bye-bye, mate. Bye-bye.
Well, he can talk more than Michael Phelps. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, brilliant. You know what, though? Brilliant. What an absolute he's got loads more. He's got loads more to talk about than me. I mean, uh, he's telling us stories about shouting over to David and David Attenborough picking up Kit and, uh, and David Attenborough being in his garden. I know. Absolutely just... phenomenal. I do not regret messaging him one little bit. Oh, Danny. Absolutely amazing. What, Danny. what a guest. I might pay for your next T-shirt after that, mate. Okay. <laughs> At my own you personal all, you, money. You pay for all my T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> might buy you another microphone. <laughs> oh, I've been sat here like a little kid, honestly. Yeah, Jumping same. up and down on my chair going, oh, my God, oh, my God, he's telling us stories about David Attenborough. I right, right, before, well, right, right before we came on, me and Hoss went a little bit quiet. It's because we were messaging him, getting him ready, etc. Um, and yeah, it's uh, fantastic. What a, what what a, a lovely bloke. bloke. What yeah. an absolute bloke. He's so, so passionate and his heart's in the right place as well. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah, absolutely. He wants to be educational. It's all for the animals. Um, and he quite literally puts himself in the firing line. Um, you mm. know, the fact that you know, the Blanding guy got, you know, bit him on the hand and he's completely hid it from his daughter. Um, now, <laughs> and the shopkeepers. He, yeah. He, <laughs> even I know he's like, oh my God, that's going to ruin your weekend. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I was just wondering if the shopkeepers had a smile on the face as he walked out. Like, <laughs> that's going to hit him in a minute. <laughs> oh, so, you know what? It, it came across to me a little bit. Um, he's a bit more excitable, but Steve Backshaw. Yeah. You know? Well, I, yeah. Irwin. No, Steve Backshaw in sort of like he does the Deadly 60. He talks a little bit like him. Yeah, quite, quite yeah, similar. Yeah. Quite yeah. similar. Right. Anyways, I'm conscious of time. Oh, um, what a shocker. So, if <laughs> Annie would like to get his bitch on. And Who? Just hang on. Annie? Just before, I'm going to let you talk, but do you know what? I was that excited, and I've drunk only four beers, but I'm desperate for a wee, so t- I'm going to let Danny talk and Mike, go for a wee. <laughs> i tell you what, I need a poo, so you go for a oh wee, my God. I'll go for a poo. Let's leave Danny to talk on his okay. own. Okay. Thanks, right. mate. Love you, bye. Love you, I don't, bye. I um, I don't agree. I don't agree with this. They've actually left me. Can you believe that, guys? They've actually left me. He's actually shut the door. <laughs> They've actually gone. Ah, <laughs> oh, um, I feel like I'm. I feel. I, I'm. I feel like I've been put on the spot. Guys, come back. I can hear you. <laughs> this is horrendous. Please come back. Please come back. I can hear you there. The listeners can hear you. Every, everyone can hear you. Danny, you're supposed to be talking. That was horrendous. (laughs) Please cut that out. (laughs) That was horrible. (laughs) We've just proven, right, that without the two gorgeous, chunky people on the podcast, that Danny's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't. I I actually went for a wee then, so I don't know what what went on then. It just just turned really awkward. I'm not. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I didn't go for a poo. I just muted everything. 
<laughs> I just went quiet. <laughs> oh, bless you. Oh, right, okay. So that's, that's that's nasty. Yeah, anyways, it's that time of the week. It's Agony Danny. <laughs> 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 Fantastic! I'm so I'm so glad we've kept that. I'm so glad we're still doing that. I'm, I'm expecting that every single week now, especially after what you just put me through. I, I just went quiet. I was like, I, I actually can't believe you just did that to me. In fact, in fact, you could be the topic of agony, fucking Danny. <laughs> Danny. Horrible. I, I know the listeners are there right now, just wetting themselves at me, and that was awful. Uh, <laughs> I'm disappointed. You've let yourself down, Hoss. Oh, I, I didn't. I literally <laughs> went up, got off went and walked it. out. <laughs> I <laughs> thought, yes, I did. Uh, <clears throat> okay, so uh, <laughs> um, let's turn that really um, sort of exciting, exciting positive, down. <laughs> yeah, exciting, <laughs> exciting positive uh, podcast into something a little bit more serious. <laughs> Um, tonight, um, I've actually been sent, sent a photo, um, of two very, very random, uh, cohab lizards or lizards in the cohab tank. Um, and I just want to go in, I just want to talk a little bit about cohabs really. Um, because obviously we've, we've had, uh, the likes of Dougie Smith on and, and Francis and, and, and myself as well, you know, who, who do cohab certain um, species. Um, and I just want to go into it. I just want to delve a little bit into how it, you know, it can be done, um, but sometimes it really shouldn't be done, if that makes sense. Um, you, you know, sometimes you might think, Oh, you know, I could probably put these together because they have the, you know, they live in the same sort of temperate range and stuff like that. Um, you know, they eat the same things, you know, um, they're out at the same times in the day, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but really, what it boils down to is none of that really matters. N- none mm-hmm. of it at all. Not um, in a in a vive. No, it is it's not about the fact that they um, would would live in the same sort of uh, conditions in the wild. <clears throat> it's more down to the, the how territorial they are, or how uh, solitary they are. Um, you know, a lot a lot of reptiles do not mix well with other reptiles, whether whether it's the same species or not. They just do not mix well. A lot of reptiles are very opportunistic and also very uh, protective, defensive of their territories. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, if another reptile comes, it doesn't matter if it's the same species, it's a threat. It doesn't matter yeah. what it is, whether it, it, it could be its brother, it, it's a threat. If it comes into its territory and um, is uh, jeopardizing, maybe it's chances to mate with a female or uh, maybe it's a female and, it, and, and another animal is jeopardizing its, um, territory that maybe it wants to lay its eggs, something like that. That is a threat. That animal is a threat, and it will it 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 will fight it to the death if it has to. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of reptiles will will happily kill each other and eat each other. You know, it it definitely happens. 
Um, and I th there does need to be a lot of research into what you're cohabbing and really why you want to cohab. I mean, what do you want to get out of it? Are you just trying to save space? Are you just trying to save, you know, tanks? Yeah, um, we've always equipment? said that, haven't we, Danny? You know, yeah. if, it's a save, if it's a space saving exercise, don't then, do it. then you're not doing it for the right reason. You can't. No, it's the wrong you reason. You haven't got the room to keep them animals because if you are cohabbing, there's going to be times where you're going to have to you might have to separate yeah. and you're going to need yeah, a spare tank to put them into if you're yeah. going to do that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, even, you know, like I said, the likes of Dougie, Dougie Smith, I think he, he would openly admit that, you know, he's ready for something bad to, to happen. You know, yeah. it, it, it probably, chances are it probably won't, but I'm sure he's on the edge of his seat every day, 24-7. Yeah. Ready there is a big it. difference with Dougie, though, mate. His enclosures, yeah. enclosures are, are bigger than oh, the Oh, massive, you know, absolutely massive. massive. When he talks about it, he's walking inside his enclosure. Yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Dougie is a, is a, is a bad example, really. But, um, you know, I'm just saying, you know, anyone who does does cohab, um, like myself, with, with things like my Japanese rat snakes, you know, I'm, all, I'm always there to you know, make sure um, I can separate them if I really need to. Um, you know, I, I, I try to keep an eye on them at all times, you know, if I notice anything like that. What about feeding them, Danny? Um, well, feeding them, because they're in the three-tier tub. Um, oh, you can lock it off, can't you? Yeah, it's actually quite easy. I can just sort of, you know, put one in the bottom tub, put one in the top tub, you know, lock it up, seal it off so they can't move. And then um, around them. the tubs and the feeding. But, the, yeah, but, so but that's an important. That's an important thing to consider. Huge, uh, huge deal. Yeah, things change yeah. massively when you introduce food massively. Into, uh, into an enclosure. Absolutely, and and that's an, another reason why a lot of reptiles are solitary. Um, it's because um, you know their territory has their food. You yeah. know, and and if another animal is coming in and jeopardising. Um, the the amount of food that they might be getting, that's quite a big deal. I mean, that's a life-threatening deal to them. You know, Wild Instinct says, hey, you're going to eat all my food. Get get out of yeah. my territory, you know, yeah. and, and it's yeah, going to attack them. I think them. as well, it comes down to basic hormone, <clears throat> hormones as well. You know, when you've got, say, two snakes and it's, it's feeding mode, that um, everything in the enclosure just becomes a food item, doesn't it, um, when that yeah. initial response in. So even though Can if they we... perhaps live perfectly fine throughout you know, the week or whatever, when there's not food around, the moment <coughs> food comes mm -hmm. into that situation, um, it's mm -hmm. very much like what happens when um, there's only one can of Strongbow left that might get really defensive over it. Oh, yeah, Do you know yeah. the funny yeah. thing was? I was just about to say then, would you be in a room, in the dining room table with Hoss when somebody brings one meal in? <laughs> I'll just say yours, mate. Yours. Push it towards the, yours. Please, please don't hurt me. Well, it's like um, there's there's a there's a there's a a lot of posts floating around Facebook um, that you can search for. They're in the groups and stuff like that um, of uh, bearded dragons who have been absolutely mauled by another bearded dragon and. Uh, the story behind it usually goes they live fine together for six years yeah. and all of a sudden this happened. Now, six years is a long time. Now, it, it just goes to show that it can happen at any point. 
you know it, not even you know you say like a week you know sometimes it could go on for years things can cohab happily for years and all of a sudden something will trigger <clears throat> and and it could just be the tiniest little thing it could even just be a uh, temperature change or something like that that's brought them into um you know in, into mating mode if you if you if you know what i mean um slight in a, in a slightly different way than it usually does um you know, there's a million factors it could be um but one day one of the animals will just snap and that'll be it and that'll exactly, be the end of the other animal exactly the same reason why you shouldn't let an 18 month old or three-year-old kid sit in the middle of a giant reticulated python because nine times, oh, out of yeah. 90 times, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, it's a docile, and it's not even being aggressive. It might just have no. a, a food response for one reason or another. There might be a scent not even that, that just picks up on all that. of a sudden. Something, bang. something as simple as um, the the toddler, or what you know, whatever you're saying, the toddler might have just sat on its tail, funny, and yeah. hurt it, and yeah. it's turned around and go, "Oi, don't do that!" Bang. And it's just and nailed that, it on the face and, or something. Yeah. And, and can you imagine a 15-foot retic biting a baby? Yeah. It would be horrendous. It'd be a blood. It'd be horrible. I wouldn't even want to think. Yeah, the, yeah. Don't yeah. do that. Yes, don't do that. Don't go into any more detail, Christ. No, that's oh. horrible. I could. Yeah, I don't even want to think about it. That'd be absolutely horrendous. Like my my daughter. <clears throat> Darcy, she she absolutely loves getting involved. Her favourite thing at the minute is is cleaning out the 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 baby carpet pythons. Yeah. Um, even she knows to keep a distance because they are snappy as hell. So she keeps a distance. She gets me. She knows she gets me the bits and pieces. She'll clean out the water water bowl for me. Um, she'll put a new little hide in because I'd like to put a fresh hide in. You know, you know, once a week yeah. or so. Um, you know, and she'll clean it all down for me. She'll clean the tub. She'll, you know, wipe any droplets off the lid, blah, blah, blah. So it's all nice and fresh. Um, she absolutely loves it, but she knows to stay away. So you know, bring to, around to, here, mate. Say again? She'll, she'll bring around here. She can see a load of really, really nice, calm and docile carpet pythons. I even do, the baby. Yeah. Um, I mean, she, she handles the, the young male um, that I got from Eric um, Rouse. Yeah, because um, he is an absolute dreamboat. He really is. She handles him, you know, free handles him absolutely fine with obviously me keeping an eye on her. Um, but you know, and she absolutely loves it. She could do it for hours if she want, if I let her. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, I just uh, that that was it really. Um, you know, I saw a photo earlier and it was horribly random. Um, it was a leopard gecko and and something else. I can't even remember what it was now. Um, but it was. Yeah, wrong. Not yeah. not right at all. Was it, would you have said that was co cohabbing just for to save space? I I would I would say so. Yeah, so, yeah. By the looks of it, yeah, because there's there's even, absolutely no thought gone into it whatsoever. And it's not so. Like, the only reason I can think is yeah, safe. Gone. And it's not like a leopard gecko needs a six volt VVZ. Well, leopard leopard geckos are solitary anyway. Yeah. Um. I mean, I mean, some people do keep them in pairs. Um, but you know, they, they need a lot of space. They do need their own little territory. Um, you know, some, some people have been successful with it. Others, not so much. Um, you know, I've seen a few cases where, um, one has just taken a massive chunk out of the tail. Yeah. Um, or one of the legs or something like that, just because 
it grabbed the food that the other one wanted. You know, or you, it it does happen. Um, they, they are fairly solitary in in the wild, as far as I'm aware. So it's just it's just really bad pairing. That's all. Definitely. Um, yeah, it's just one of them things just to be really careful of. If you're going to do it, go for it. But do some research and do a lot of research. Make sure you know what those animals are like in the wild, not just their um, parameters. Yeah, we're not the the temperatures and the humidity and all that lot. Really, in 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 a way, obviously they do need to match, but in a way they they are quite irrelevant. It's the attitude of the animals and their habits in the wild that that really matter. Definitely right. Okay. Anyway, are you done moaning now? I think so. Right, okay. So before we get off, because we are literally running out of time, we've we've got like <coughs> twenty minutes left. Um. Before you get on to the music for this week, I've got three things that I want to bring up really quickly. First is that uh, Blood Ball Reptiles, uh, our sponsor, um, absolutely cracking company. If you are in the market for some sustainable reptile frozen food or substrates, then please get in touch with them. Um, They're going to be at Donny this Sunday. They are, which brings me on to my next point. We are going to be at Doncaster. We need Easter eggs. Um, Obviously, we are... Okay, Hoss needs Easter eggs. Hoss needs Easter eggs. Um, so feed the beast. <laughs> um, <laughs> we we're releasing this a couple really of days early, more. so obviously a lot of people are going to be travelling down and doing uh, loads and loads of motor uh, motorway miles. Oh, I'm yawning. Ah, I start yawning. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, hey, do you notice know he only yawns when he starts speaking? He bores himself. Feelings. <laughs> 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 oh, <laughs> Right, okay, so we're releasing this a couple of days earlier. If you do see us at Doncaster, please come over and introduce yourself. Um, when I say introduce yourself, um, there's been a couple of times where some of the listeners have said hello. Um, they say, I like the podcast, and then you kind of walk off. Guys, like, talk to us. We want to know who you I, are. I want, I, want, I want hugs, I do. Well, I, I want Easter eggs. Um, I want full of hugs. Hoss wants eggs. What do you want, Danny? Snakes. <laughs> you're, missing, you're, missing, you're missing a trick here, lads. I, I've, I've got a snake here that I'm going to give to you, mate. <laughs> oh yeah, I sh- I'm sure you have. Oh, no, 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 python. No. Not, not the one in my in my pants. <laughs> What's it out of your pants? Do you? Also, as well, something that glad needs a podcast. Something that needs to happen is Mike's son Billy will be there with us. It's his birthday. Um, no, he's yep. give up his birthday. So to, if you're to not going to give Danny snakes, you're not going to give Mike hugs, and you're not going to get me Easter eggs, which will really upset me. Please come <laughs> and say happy birthday to him. Um, you know, he, he really, really, um, he loves what we do. Um, he gets really excited. Noise he's trying to get onto the podcast as much as possible. He um, uh, he wants he wants to have as many photos with the listeners so so he can get on the podcast like with in the in in the Facebook page <laughs> as many times as possible because we're yeah. gonna we're gonna put all the photos of who we've met up on the podcast up on the uh, on the Facebook page. So that's Honestly. it for those two points. My last one is. Carpet Fest UK, Saturday the 3rd of August 2019, it is in Streetly, I'm not going to go through the whole address because it's on the flyer, 
Everyone is welcome. There's going to be beer, music, barbecue food, bouncy castles, face painting, a bird and reptile display, a massive charity raffle. Uh, so the people that are helping us with the event and sponsoring us are Arcadia, Bioactive Herbs, a really, really shit company called Kings and Exotics, um, <laughs> Habistat, Peregrine Life Foods and Reptile Systems. Um you know, that's a really, really good company to check out there. It is a ticketed event. Uh, tickets are achieved at like a five or something stupid like that. Um, and you can buy tickets from reptileandchill.bigcartel.com. Obviously, Did you just say they're like a fiver or something like that? I think they are. I, I, I can't even remember. I think, I think <laughs> you came up with the price. <laughs> you, you know you how much made they the are. price. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to double check that now really, really quickly. It's five pound. It is 30. five pound, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they're five, five, five. What he's, what he's doing, Hoss is getting confused when people have spent ten pound. What that means, Hoss, they've bought two tickets. Oh. <laughs> 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 yeah, so it's going to be cool. Obviously, all the money we raise at that event will be going to Mental Health UK. And as per usual, if you want to help support our podcast or help raise money towards Mental Health UK, head on over to reptileandchill.bigcartel.com. Look at our hoodies and T-shirts for sale. And be, actually, before we release this episode, because I want to get, I'm going to get my finger out. I'm going to do it as soon as we finish. Uh, we've got some absolutely awesome new T-shirts um, and vest tops that are up for sale. Um, it's got a yeah, chameleon with sunglasses, and because actually, you know, it, it's been snowing in the UK in some places today. So it's not really summer vibes, but the summer's coming, and you all need T-shirts. Um, so that is about it. I'm going to stop rambling. Um, I Thank think God pass for that. To Danny. Um, yeah, to Danny. <laughs> what, what, what the hell's this band to, uh, this week? What, what's it all about? Well, first of all, that was some lovely rambling. Thank Hoss. you. Very lovely. Um, okay, yeah. So uh, we'll we'll see the see the podcast out with a with a nice new song. Um, it's by um, Cyanide Sun, um, and they're a young band from Wisconsin, actually. Um, so not a local one this time. Um, and they're sort of a, they're a rock, uh, punk type band. I thought they um, sounded a little bit like Hoobastank. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. They've got that sort of vibe. It's, it's rock with a sort of punky, uh, twist. It's, it's, it's nice. It's got a punky sound. I, I, I really enjoy it. Um, and I think a lot of the listeners will too. I um, listened to it this afternoon and I loved most of their songs. Yeah. It's a really, really nice EP. Um, the track we've picked is um, called "Better Days." Um, yes. It's a really, yeah, it's a really lovely, lovely song. Um, a lovely song. It's a lovely, a lovely, lovely song. It's very lovely. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> oh gosh! Oh yeah, lovely. Oh, right. it turns into uh, nice foot Dean rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So. Um, I was talking to uh, rhythm guitarist Caleb. He's a lovely bloke. He's a, he's he's a lovely ru- bloke. He's a lovely bloke. Caleb, <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely. Um, uh, Caleb, absolute cracking lad. He really is. No, um, he's lovely, not cracking. A lovely, lovely, lovely lad. He really is. Um, he's given us pretty much full reign to use whatever on the EP. So um, you might even expect a couple more songs. Um, by them in the in the in the future um he has said to me he or he, he he got up a little bit deep um when i mentioned the mental health thing and um 
basically a very, very good friend of the band, um, unfortunately, uh, took his life, took his own life. Um, um, I, th I think a few years back, um, his name was Josh. And he was very, very close to all of the members in the band. And um, his passing, actually, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting <coughs> choked up there. Um, his passing actually uh, inspired um, the music on the EP. Um, wow. So, yeah, the song the song we've picked tonight um, has a, has been inspired by you know a, a pretty um, deep subject. Yeah, yeah, deep yeah, subject there. Absolutely. Um, so, um, you know, have a listen to it with with that in mind. Um, you know, you know, it's it's nice to know that. Every track that you know someone writes has has a little bit of meaning and ha has a little bit of background, um, and you know there's a reason for the lyrics and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, listen to it with that in mind, um, and let us know what you think, guys. Definitely. Um, you know, can I also say, Danny, as well, with mm -hmm. the, with with listening to the track in mind, and this band have lost a really close friend. Yeah. Let's reach out and talk to people you know, mm -hmm. that may be struggling a little bit. Um, yeah. I saw a post the other day on, on Facebook and it was, uh, it was oh so true. Um, he had somebody sort of like sat on a bed covering the head mm. and, uh, nobody was sort of like talking to them. But as soon as they'd, uh, they were in a coffin, everybody yeah. was there throwing roses mm -hmm. on the coffin. And, and yeah. that's, that's, that happens. That a hits lot home. Because, it does. It yeah. does hit home. Yeah. That was, let, let, let's try and reach out to these people before they, uh, before they before Definitely. they do anything, Celia. I think I think before we wrap up the show as well, sorry, um, I shared something on the Instagram the other day with our friend Olivia or Self Love Live. Um, I'm going to put a little spoiler out with something that we're planning to do with her. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but she's got um, a bit of a whirlwind of a story, um, and we're going to sit down with her and we're going to talk about her story and what she's been through and what other people have been through. And what what what, what we're trying to say is that. Yes, this is really hard to talk about, but it's okay, um, and it's fine. You know, there are many people in your situation. It's nothing to be ashamed of. You can talk. There are people out there who will listen. You have got friends. You have got family around you mm, who will absolutely. listen, and they they won't mind. And I know it can be really hard from a personal perspective as well. It sometimes you don't want to be that burden, but mm -hmm. they want you to be. They want you to be there, yeah. and perhaps if you feel if you haven't got someone around, you know, and you do listen to this show, there's two quite fat and one slightly fat person who present these uh, <laughs> podcasts that were here for you as well. So drop us Absolutely. a message. Um, Absolutely, you know, this is what it's all about. This isn't just a podcast for reptiles and for us to be reptile keepers together. We're all human beings, and we, you know, just 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 get in touch. Um, on that, if you haven't listened to our show before, thanks for listening. Um, if you have come across us and you're not on our social media path, we're on um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all those other great things. We've also got a community group as well. We love our listeners and the fact that they can all talk and discuss things mm -hmm. and show abuse when it comes you know yeah. they, they abuse us loads in the group as well yeah, they right. yeah, <laughs> um, but go on to facebook and just type in reptile and chill community group um and just you know click join and we'll accept you into that and mm -hmm. i think that's about it for this night i think we need to listen yeah. to this absolutely awesome track so Beautiful. 
from from the Hoss, Phelps, and Mr. Wells. Love you, bye, and good love night. Love you, bye. Love you. Love you, bye.
Here's the thing about new Cherry Vanilla Coke. Though Cherry's named first, all the flavors taste just as great. I mean, it could have just as easily been Vanilla Cherry Coke. Or it could have been Coke Cherry Vanilla. And since it's two amazing flavors of Coke, it might have been Coke Vanilla Cherry Coke or Cherry Vanilla Coke Coke. Mm-hmm. Unless you're in France, which would make it Le Coke de la Vanilla de la Cherry de la Creme. New Cherry Vanilla Coke, so good together. And New Cherry Vanilla Coke Zero Sugar, same great taste, zero sugar.